as you can see, the more you fuck around, the more you're going to find out. And also, if you stay down here and you never fuck around, you'll never find out. <laughs> These sheep are in a grand experiment. This program contains mature subject matter. Including maladjusted youth, masochistic hillbillies, and the excitement of the price is right. It may be deemed inappropriate for our younger viewers. Viewer discretion advised. I would like, if I may, to take you on a strange journey. <laughs> this show is behind the shem shemas. Yes, it seems. I'll give you a choice. Either put on these glasses or start eating that trash can. Yeah, it's a nasty scheme. You maniacs! What is a man? You blew it up! Damn you! A miserable little pile of secrets! Damn you all to hell! What is BTS? When we are successful, we will be. We have a real chance to do Your patience is wearing thin. And so on behalf of the director of our agency, I'd like to offer congratulations on completing our tough preliminary training course. After weeks of physical and psychological testing, you 10 men have survived the more than 40 already sworn in, who in turn were selected from a careful screening and security check of hundreds. You men, therefore, represent the best of your race. The survivors of our regular training course to begin tomorrow will be the first of your race to join the finest intelligence and espionage fraternity in the history of mankind. I must emphasize, however, that you are by no means agents as yet. Now, the selecting out process continues right up until graduation day. So, uh, keep on your toes, keep your noses clean, and I hope to congratulate you on joining the team at the end of the training course. Thank you. Well, ain't it groovy to be a spy? <laughs> right <laughs> on. Really? Yeah. Hey, we the first spooks to be spooks yeah. with a B.I.A. Yeah. <laughs> hey, man, you know how much yeah. this scotch costs in the commissary? Three dollars. Mm. Shiv ass regal. <laughs> yeah, it's cheap overseas, man. Yeah, and, and rent-free housing overseas, too. Hey, you went to Fisk, didn't you? I'm from Howard. Say, you a frat man? Yeah, yeah man. Don't fuck. No, no kidding, baby. So <laughs> Come on, man. Come on, man. Hey, let's get it over there. Say, didn't we meet last year at the pen relays? Uh, oh, man, yeah. At that party at the motel. <laughs> hey, man, we got it made. Keeping you on your toes, this is episode 120 of Behind the Schemes for October 10th, 2022, and doing my best to keep my nose clean, this is Booberry, Black Knight of the Mothman.
And all the way from way the hell over here on the Breath Coast where there is no escape from the pod reality. My name is Lavish. <laughs> no matter how deep you go, it only gets deeper and deeper and deeper. Yeah, yeah, it's like quicksand. <laughs> you fight and you fight and oh, pff, sorry. Remember, uh, <laughs> what's that mean? Oh, you remember growing up when you thought tar- uh, quicksand was going to be like a daily problem? <laughs> well, how little, how little we knew. Yes, and how far we've come. I mean, maybe not because we're in quicksand, but you know what I mean. I think the only thing that would suck more is a giant tar pit. Yeah, tar is uh, pretty nasty. Pretty nasty stuff. Oh, God, I was about to say, we can't start the show because I don't have my trusty sticky notepad, but I found Uh, it. Very important piece of equipment. Yeah, it's it's the one thing that holds this entire production together is sticky notes. (laughs) (laughs) The linchpin of this whole operation. Yeah. (laughs) The mastermind behind the madness. (laughs) Behind the behind the behind the schemes. Mm. Yeah, so you'll just find a sticky note at the end of it. (laughs) Yes. That's how they should have ended the Holy Mountain. Yeah. They get all the way up the Holy Mountain. They go through all this, and what do they find when they get up there? A sticky note. Oh, my goodness. There's your secret knowledge right there. Oh, I got uh, I got, I got, two things I'm pretty stoked about that I, I want to quick share with you. Uh, first off, I have a new super black denim jacket. Ah. Yeah. And stylish yeah right now i'm I'm getting words from uh certain unnamed individuals that i should keep it the same that i should not patch it up and, and put pins but i'm just i'm drowning in mothman patches i i gotta do something with them you know yeah they're just gonna sit there unutilized mm-hmm. uh, it makes me want to revisit the uh the idea of like doing um like almost like a grid of uh boost to patch or something like you could boost in a super small amount so it's not like you know i'm just looking for the idea uh not the actual sets and like uh assign a boost number to a to an image or a patch right and just have a whole catalog it's like oh i want to do 33 42 66 69 and uh 76 right Mm mm-hmm um I don't know, I gotta think about and it. And then what, you post images of the patches, or you post yeah, the, yeah, 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 yeah. the whole and, thing? Yeah. And then the the little header for the image would be the corresponding boost number. Mmm. Pretty fancy. Well, originally, when you, said, when you said that, I thought that you meant you're going to turn a denim jacket into a boost chart that you can read. <laughs> and you can boost just based on everything right there, kind of like the PDF, but in clothing form. This too, this too, with a giant QR code on the patch. Yeah. <laughs> yes. That's a great idea, actually. That's not a bad idea. Very interesting. Um, hmm, something for the notes. <laughs> the other uh, thing, uh, and we just we just got this uh, rectified earlier today, and it should be cooking along. I've gotten confirmations that people are getting in and seeing their email registrations return, but... I do have some exciting news. We decided, <laughs> sounds like we're announcing a pregnancy or something. We decided to follow the steps of Federation and went and got our own Mastodon server set up. Yep. We have our own Mastodon instance now. 
So if you go to spook.social, you can sign up free. I don't think there's any, like, uh, there's no questionnaire or anything. You just got to punch in an email and a username and a password and um, come come hang out with us. Yeah. Congratulations. It's a social media platform. We did it. <laughs> we did it. We've been trying for years. It does feel like a while. Yep. Um, but it, it, it does exist. It exists. So yeah, come uh, come hang out with us. We'd love to see you over there. It's um it's uh we we, we got it set up through Prometheus.systems. You can head over to their website and check out all the different sort of services that you can order from them. That includes setting up IRC servers, peer tube instances, Azure Cast streams, um, matrix chats, uh, they'll do websites, I believe. They they do the Mastodon server. Uh, they got all sorts of cool shit, and um, they seem like uh, some real people that want to get on the uh, back on the interwebs and and do things the way that they used to be. <laughs> if that makes any sense. Yes, the before times. Yeah, it's the before times. Um, oh, I should go. I should actually. Can you remind me to add their link in the show notes? Yep. Sweet. Thank you. Yes. I need to get a quieter keyboard. And in that regards, uh, let's uh, crack open this tarot card. Yes, let's indeed. I think it was a good one. I think you're going to like this one. Uh, This, drawn from the Starman Tarot, which is based on art for David Bowie by David De Angelis. And this was gifted to me by um, Pfeiffer. By Reverend Dr. Pfeiffer in Kansas City, Missouri. The good Reverend Dr. Yes. The good Reverend Doctor himself uh, gave both me and Boo Berry a set. And tonight, uh, I drew the Eight of Pentacles. We drew the Eight of Pentacles. Already got a boost coming in. Oh, that was a well timed boost, I think. <laughs> Very well timed. Thank you, Booster. <laughs> they always are. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Sure. Uh, the Eight of Pentacles. According to the book that comes with this card, uh, it says, I am doing the work that I was born to do. God damn it. That's a pretty, pretty good one. Uh, if you want to see a picture of this beautiful card, it is in the show notes at zososcorner.substack.com. Uh, the Eight of Pentacles sets out a crystalline landscape of minerals with many facets in which a character is seen standing in a golden, elegant structure, which is very... um sacred geometry, Uh, fashioning and refining the elements of some exquisite space-time sculpture, robotic, made of intricate parts and connections, but still in human form. It is clearly absorbed and attentive to the task at hand. If this was a human being, perhaps an artist, we might assume that he is in a state of flow, completely absorbed, honing and perfecting his skills, creating a meticulously detailed piece of work, which expressed something essential about his existence. Any thoughts on this so far? Uh, I love I love being in the flow, man. Yeah. Like, when you hit that stride, you're just like, uh, uh, uh. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. the flow, the zone. In, uh, in, 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 on the road, I would often refer to it as slamming it in and slamming it out. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's, that's what they like. They like that. 
Uh, we may be able to delegate tasks to artificial intelligence or robotic forms with robust efficiency, but to be conscious of the process of creation may well remain uniquely human. May remain a uniquely human phenomena. To take on something intrinsically valuable and use our range of intelligences to keep something crucially alive inside of us. Edu uh, education socializes us for the rest of the world, of work in particular. It has traditionally focused on external rewards and merits rather than internal intrinsic motivation. This will have to transform if we are to encourage people to be flexible, uh, to encourage people with flexible skill sets and knowledge to work across different disciplines and collaborate virtually. The Eight of Pentacles invites you to look deeply into the world of work and review those projects and moments where you felt most alive, inspired, capable, absorbed, and joyful. Look at where you need to apply yourself fully and feel the joy of doing it, of doing it well, and to your fullest competency. Is, is this card our guy? This is our guy. Hashtag <laughs> backslash our guy. <laughs> Yeah, I, I never, I never thought I was like super into the Pentacles, but damn, dude, I like this. This one's fresh. Yeah, the Eight of Pentacles is a good one. I'm looking at some key uh, key words from Labyrinthos, and it says skill, talent, craft, craftsmanship, quality, high standards, expertise, mastery. Ooh, can't say that one. Commitment, dedication, <laughs> accomplishment. Yeah, nice. It's pretty good. Yes. It's pretty good. Also in the chat room, if you want to see the, uh, we have a Pepe Tarot, and you can just type in Art, Eight of Pentacles, or A of P, or AOP, and I believe that should work, mm -hmm. and it will. It'll present you the GIF of the, uh, oh, 404, not found. Oh, oh, well, uh, I'm sure cat, it'll work eventually. Yeah, Catbox is experiencing some downtime. Okay, well, Catbox is down, no deal, but... It's a beautiful card, nonetheless, and you can check it out in our chat room, if you so desire. Yes, and uh, Gal is the one that will draw that for you. She's phenomenal. She's fantastic. She is the coolest bot that you will find on Zero Node, and uh, she is managed by none other than... Servo is the man, dude. I'm yeah. leaving Servo. Probably say this to all the girls, Servo. don't you? <laughs> Serve a man. You sex a thing. You serve a man. Serve a man. Serve a man. <laughs> um, yeah, I like that. Uh, I like that card. If you want to check it out, it's posted up at the top of our show notes, which you can find over at zososcorner.substack.com. Z-O-S-O-S dot substack.com. Um, or excuse me, Z-O-S-O-S corner.substack. And uh, I should also say that if you want to check out the two-hour folk hour with the Reverend Dr. Pfeiffer and Rusty Applebottoms, you can go over to the new Agenda stream, uh, trollroom.io. Check them out on Sunday mornings uh, before the Rock and Roll pre-show. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They play some excellent folk music. And, uh, you know, thanks, thanks to those gentlemen for waking up so early and providing such beautiful music to the new Agenda stream every Sunday morning. Uh, I love being, you know, out at a gig or something, and then I travel back Sunday, and I gotta check out of the hotel real early, so I get up and, you know, just super bleary and wasted, tired from the event, and driving this huge fucking, or not huge, but uh, this, just driving a box truck, cruising around the hills of Wisconsin, listening to the folk hour. Mm, good shit, there man. There you go. 
That is what the kids call a vibe. <laughs> yeah, that's that flow. It's the <laughs> flow. That's what you were just talking about. <laughs> uh, if you want to hang out with Pfeiffer and Servo and all these other crazy fucks, you can head over to uh, the Green Room, hashtag Green Room on uh, Zero Node. It's over at our website, too. There's a link to enter the Green Room at badradio.live. And uh, we do the show every Monday night, starting at 7.30, 9.30, 10.30 Eastern, respectively. Mm-hmm. That's correct. We're a value-for-value value production, which means we don't have ads. We don't have corporate sponsors. We are purely supported by those who listen to the show and those who participate uh, in the chat room and, and email us and all that. We are publicly supported radio. Mm, you could almost... In the purest sense. You could almost say... We're more public radio than NPR. You could say that, and some have, <laughs> including Abel Kirby of Rare Encounter. <laughs> some most definitely have. The beautiful. <laughs> um, yes, uh, it's a value for value production. Uh, we don't have to do ad reads. We just uh, take public or open support. And if there's anything that you value of the show, we just ask that you turn around and help produce the show. You can either send in ISOs, clips, music, art, donations, boostograms. All of it counts. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep. Conversations, information, articles. Uh, of news articles, uh, articles of clothing, I suppose. People people can uh, send us their articles of clothing, or they could purchase articles of clothing uh, that have the official behind-the-schemes graphics on them at our Threadless, uh, awesome Threadless site, which is hosted by Mary-Kate Ultra and Make Heroism. Thanks to them, as always. Yeah, I think there's actually a sell going down on... Uh, um on the website right now, behindtheschemes.shop. I think oh. they got another $15 a, sh- a shirt deal. Yeah, I'm going to hit that. I'm going to go ahead and hit that. Me too. Soonest possible moment. Me too. <laughs> Let's actually, we're going to pause tape <laughs> so we can go <laughs> buy shirts on the air. <laughs> we'll be right back. We'll be right back. And, see, and we're back. And now you'll, ha- you'll have no idea. It was seamless. <laughs> yeah, that was fast. Yeah, I mean, dude. it took us hours, but <laughs> these listeners will never know that. Never. Never. Uh, we should, uh, I want to get into some boostergrams. Yes, yes, please go ahead. The, uh, I think the first one that we had was, um, let's just start with, uh, 1975 from C Brooklyn 112 saying, yo, yo, that's from yo, yo, C Brook six days ago, uh, using CurioCaster. Followed that up by slaughtering a goat for 6666 sat saying, I listened to that song backwards and I heard, I live with the schemes. <laughs> nice. Nice. Uh, 10,000 sats from Tom Starkweather. Through- Who was for the 6666 from? Oh, that was Seabrooklyn uh, 112. Seabrook again. again. All right. Seabrook. The uh, 10,000 sats from Tom Starkweather was through CurioCaster. He said, this episode was requested by Alex in the car after she heard part of it on a grocery run. It was both horrifying and enlightening. And he's actually boosting episode 116, Germany Greater Than Science, Greater Than Wife. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. The one with uh, the lovely light bright. Mm-hmm. That was, a, that was a fun episode. I hope you enjoy yes, it, Alex, it uh, a.k.a. the unhappy New Yorker. Um, I, although I've heard they've uh, relocated, so uh, they moved to the great state of Virginia, and of course, you know, Virginia is for lovers. 
Yes. Yes, Virginia is for lovers. Especially in August. Uh, yeah. <laughs> it's getting a little hot. <laughs> <laughs> Better get down. Uh, we got uh, 101 from Armor uh, through Fountain saying, NWO, go F yourself. Oh, yeah, baby. It's a T-S-T-T-T. Burns. Oh, yeah. A little jazzy time. Uh, Jazzberry. Jazzberry. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> I don't know what I'm going to do with that, but uh, give me a second. Jazzberry. Uh, cousin to Raspberry. Mm-hmm. We had 6969 from Sir Spencer through Curiocaster. Uh, and he boosted a special delivery. He sent a whole bunch of ISOs. I'm going to hit those real quick. Oh, oh my goodness, it's Spencer. the black market of ISOs. Fuck the mainstream. Oh, God, I did it for boobs. Let me turn that down a little bit. I like when boobs needs my ISOs. I just want a mommy boobs, too. <laughs> You're not supposed to suck. <laughs> Booberries. I can see him scratching his neck. <laughs> <laughs> Probably say this to all the girls, don't you? And of course, the leaving yeah. serval <laughs> beauties. Most thank you to the bowlers. Yes, the bowlers. A bowl after bowl. Bowl after bowl. Tuesday nights on the No Agenda stream and live in Podverse, Curiocaster, all sorts of new podcast apps. Yes, they are also very compliant. Uh, then we got a bunch of test stuff that came through. A lot of it was from me and Servo. Uh, the first one from tonight was 6666 from uh, Servo through the Boost CLI. He's boosting the live tag. And uh, Weep. He, he's getting himself some goat. A little knife emoji. Goat emoji. Some blood emoji. Mm. Wants a little bit of that goat leg on a Monday night. Yeah. <laughs> oh, and someone else. Speak of the oh no, it's the oh. same gentleman. Sorry, I need to say I get that out of my eye. The bloodlust yeah. is real, people. That one had a lot of pressure in the aorta artery. Mmm. That yeah, that they had a little distance on that one. Mm. hmm A nice glut. <laughs> yeah. There was a lot of glut. <laughs> yes. Button <laughs> um, for a glut. We had a uh, elite boost from N4VX through Curiocaster, and uh, he's boosting one three three say uh, seven saying lit. Yeah, thank you N4VX. Hell yeah, dude! And then uh, that last one was Servo Weep. <laughs> That's all he said. Weep. B W E E P. Weep. 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 Okay. (laughs) That's the boost clip weeping. (laughs) While my boost clip gently weaves. (laughs) You left out your time zone, dick. (laughs) Yeah, this guy's in mountain time zone. Blue douche is hanging out in the mountains, you know. Oh, those mountaineer folks, man. I tell you what. All that that, uh, high altitude air. Yeah, yeah. Get a nosebleed up there, buddy. <laughs> um, if you want to get in on that action uh, and send boostograms, what is a boostogram? That is a micropayment of Bitcoin sent across the Lightning Network in real time. 
It's everything that PayPal wishes it was and more. And uh, if you hang out in our chats, depending on what you're boosting, like the 6666, you'll actually see some uh, some actions scroll by as uh, as the uh, people are boosting. You, you see goats, you can see some Rocky Horror Picture Show, you can see some people glowing, all sorts of crazy shit. You can see some Jim Jones action, you can see some Alex Jones action. Yeah, man. It's cool. You do all kinds it's, of things. And especially with... Uh, can with, rack one with this quote unquote PayPal fakery. Uh, regardless if they did nothing in the long run, it's only a matter of time. So if I can go ahead, delete the Spotify, delete the Apple, go to nude podcast apps, download Fountain, download Podverse, go to CurioCaster in your browser, uh, or just find one by your, or, you know, find one on your own that you like. Nude podcast apps Yes, this is the future, and uh, if you you know do it now, then you can later down the road you can say, "Well, I was one of the first people to to do it. I was one of the early adopters." <laughs> yeah, if it, yes, it's still under ten thousand shows that uh, you can stream Bitcoin to in real time. So uh, it's still but it it's grows. Still, it's still uh, very fresh, very new. Yes. But it grows. Yeah. Yeah, it grows. <laughs> Fuck the mainstream. I like when boobs needs my eyes. Delicious. Behind the schemes. That show has been rocking lately. Do a commercial. You're off the artistic roll call. Every word you say is suspect. You're a corporate whore. And uh, end of story. Rolling out the MK Ultra song. That's great. All I do is eat ass and 69 Nintendos, bro, every day. It's a very fun show, BTS, man. 612-263-7999 is that telephone number that you can call. It's the easiest way to help produce the show. Call in. Scream, whatever you got to do. Leave us a message. Tell us how your day went. And just to clarify, the you know the phone lines aren't open, so if you're nervous about talking on the air, don't worry about it. it it'll go straight to voicemail. You can say whatever you want, and if you're really voice shy, well, then you can text the number as well. You can text us at 612-263-7999. And here's our first one for tonight. <laughs> Indeed, caller, that is not a boost. That is your wife. Many such cases. <laughs> Smack my bread bitch up. <laughs> Put her back in the box? <laughs> Blueberry has a very mysterious box at his house that he wouldn't let me go near. Which one? Oh, wait, never mind. You, no, never mind. We, you know what? Forget I said anything. <laughs> you know what's sad? I had a box of graveyard dirt, and I don't know where I put it. Graveyard dirt? Yeah. Everywhere is graveyard dirt if, with the right <laughs> if you <try>. motivation. <laughs> uh, you know what I'm saying, Holmes? <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> Let me do this next voicemail. <laughs> yeah. Salutations and greetings, lavish and blueberry of behind the scenes. Hello there. We need a screen tonight, I heard. 
Well, it's putting the scream on another person, but I guess also on ourselves, because as we look at others, we can look at ourselves, too, and figure out what needs to change. A particular situation is somebody's inactions and non-communications is impacting the whole family, the whole family, the whole family, whatever. It's, uh, you know, friends, family, they all become the same. But uh, it's just impacting everybody, so they're in actions. Yeah. Anyway, so you're just like, ah! Because you're starting to look at what holidays and different things like that are going to look like if those inactions do not turn into actions. But I was, I was uh, thinking about this before I, right before I called just now. I'm also thinking about what what about the our own inactions that should be actions that could be impacting those around us. Are they for the negative, for the positive? So yeah, just a little contemplation as I navel gaze. All right. Well, I love you guys. And you, and you, and you, and you, all, all, every one of us, stay dangerous. And whether we're in action or not in action, which I guess could also be in action because sleeping is in action. But we know we're not going to go down that road because that's just going to get confusing. No matter what, you can always say it. You can say it proud. Always say it proud. And say it loud unless your nephew's, like, in the other room sleeping, which he will be relatively soon when he gets here. And, uh Yeah. All right, so you say it. Bacotti, you, Christopher Battles. Yes, thank you for calling. Hmm, and we're talking about inaction here from friends and family. Did I catch that right? Yes, Mm. and yes, inaction is also an action. Man, let me tell you what, it has come to my attention that it can be like uh, pulling teeth to get uh, people to move in in regards to just, uh, uh, you know, just try out stuff, you know? Oh, yeah. Yeah, people, uh, you know, they don't want to do things. Yeah. It's, It's, uh, It's much easier to not do things than to do things. And it's... It can be kind of a brain drain, or like a uh, like a morale drain at times. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's it's tough to for myself at least to be like I don't know I guess divorce myself from the situation in that regards to not be super invested, but I'm invested because I care, and if I wasn't invested, I wouldn't care. <laughs> mm-hmm. If I didn't care, then it's not something I enjoy. So it just goes full circle. Mm. You uh, triggered Sir Spencer, by the way. He just got his wisdoms pulled. Oh no! Oh no! I missed it. Let me see what he said. Uh, I feel fucking triggered. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Somebody it's... pulled the pulled a fang out of the wolf. He's not <laughs> thrilled about it. <laughs> Captain save a hoe. I'm Captain save all the hoes, my guy. <laughs> save Barry. Save Barry. Harem Barry. Harem Barry. Uh, have a little harem. <laughs> Indeed. Ooh, I see that one. You got an 1169 karma. Nice. From DeLorean. Oh, shit. What up? 
That's the beauty of hose. Oh my goodness. We got That's the beauty. That's what I appreciate about hose. <laughs> What's that? That that they're, you know, you can't save them. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness. Most indeed. We should uh we should get into some topics for tonight. You got anything that you want to roll? Well, I was thinking uh, maybe the uh, the diamond dog, the eight-sided, seeing as how we had the eight of pentacles. Mm-hmm. And uh, why don't we just do uh, whoever rolls uh, the highest or closest to eight? Closest to eight. We'll choose or go first. Uh, choose? Choose. I okay. like it. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, you better roll them by now. <laughs> Keeping you on your toes. Hi. Yeah, no doubt. Um, I'm going to kick the BTS stream here real quick, see if I can get that to come back. Um, what'd you get? Oh, I rolled a two. <laughs> oh, shit. I rolled a three. Oh. Oh, shit. Oh, shit. Um, well, you know, I, I got some kind of like spooky related things. I, I, I want to save it towards a little later in the night and things get a little darker. Things oh, you want to do second, second half? Yeah. Mode? Yeah. You know, it's, I, it feels appropriate. Well, I was kind of peeky pooing at your uh, stuff in the notes. And I have to say to everybody listening, you're definitely going to want to stick around. For the second second half of show to see what blueberry has got prepared because it looks pretty fucking juicy mm. it's pretty good <laughs> you want to sink your teeth into it literally literally <laughs> <laughs> if you boost a 66 66 we'll get you some goat meat and uh, you can always have that as an ours dwarf but uh, excellent well then we, we shall save that that beauty for later uh I shall go first. So I have something that I have to say, I have to, I have to admit, confess even, is rather textbook as far as the quote-unquote conspiracy world is concerned. Uh, recently found out through the Associated Press that uh, there's a town in Vermont, Richmond, Vermont, and there was a government employee who quietly lowered the fluoride levels in the drinking water for years and recently got in trouble for it. <laughs> I was like, where's the other foot? It's here, <laughs> it's here somewhere. <laughs> oh yeah. Oh, they got, it's, it's a big deal. And everybody's like, Oh my God, you really put our, our tooth health, our dental health at risk by doing such a, uh, a reckless thing as to lower the fluoride levels. In the, in the water supply of this town. Now, according to recommended amounts, and this is according to the article here, which you can find in the show notes, fluoride in water apparently decreases cavities or tooth decay by about 25%, according to our favorite organization ever, the CDC, uh, in a 2018 report. said that 73% of the U.S. population uh, was served by water systems with adequate fluoride to protect teeth. It is well known that fluoride, or I should say sodium fluoride, is uh, mandated to be in the water supply virtually 
throughout the entirety of the United States and uh, has for a good while now, about 100 years, almost. And we are the only country in the world that does that. Now, fluoride, blueberry, as I'm sure you're very aware, is like a big topic that's been around for a long, long time. It's a, it's a staple. It's, it's a, a staple. Classic. Yes. It's, it's as classic as Bigfoot or UFOs. Uh, fluoride in the water has been controversial since they first started doing it uh, coming out of the... Uh, they, did, they started doing it around the Great Depression. And uh, are you familiar with the, the history of, of fluoride? Are you familiar with how it, how it got into the water supply? Well, they needed somewhere to dump all this waste product that they had laying around. Exactly. So there was a time period coming out of the Civil War and, and heading into the new century where uh, the petroleum industry and, and the industrial world as a whole was making leaps and bounds. It was the Industrial Revolution of the United States, and they were making all kinds of things. They were making uh, petroleum products, uh, fine uh, uh, metals, uh, sorry, metal refining is what I meant to say. Metals refining, things like aluminum, was able to be uh, developed in, in massive quantities, which was, which was new at the time. Aluminum used to be very rare. And... It, uh, it, has, it has a long history that goes way, way back. And I've got a couple clips. I found a really, really nice. Um, I found a really, really nice YouTube video and a channel, which only has about 9,000 subscribers, called Analyze and Optimize. And uh, on May 6th of this year, they released a uh, about a half hour long sort of documentary type video on the history of water fluoridation. Now, obviously, I didn't clip all 30 minutes of it. Uh, I just had select clips of maybe the first half or so, and it goes into the history of water fluoridation. Um, let's listen to the first one, just to, just to wet our whistle. Whenever there is risk, there should be consent. No matter how much the benefits could outweigh these risks, if there is risk involved, the individual should be given a choice, especially in health and medicine. The Nuremberg Code was developed specifically to prevent these interventions from happening without consent. Today, this is a popular topic of discussion, whether or not we have informed consent for a mandated medical intervention. But the truth is, we should have been talking about this for the last 80 years since the government has been administering a medical intervention without our consent, and for many, even without their knowledge. Of course, the substance I am referring to is fluoride in the public water supply. Many will be quick to assume that anyone who thinks this could be a problem for our health is a nut, a quack, and a conspiracy theorist. I mean, just read any government webpage on the topic. The science is settled. Low-dose fluoride is good for our teeth. In fact, the CDC has put water fluoridation on their list of the 10 greatest health achievements of the 20th century. I gotta hand it to them. It does fit right in with the rest of the list. All of the experts agree that it's the consensus. And for all of these reasons, we should be very skeptical. Mm, I don't know. This sounds kind of science deny. <laughs> oh, you're saying that I'm denying the science, eh? <laughs> I, well, may, I may be heavily Im implying, yes. That's, that's fine. That's fine. You can heavily imply. People really believe, you know, and, and it's a lot of studies have shown that 
tooth decay uh, is 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 lessened when fluoride is around. In fact, these uh, this town in Vermont here, Richmond, these guys are pretty mad. Uh, Katie Mather, who lives in Richmond, which by the way is a town of about four thousand people in northwestern Vermont, so it's a very lovely little town, said at the Water Commission meeting this week that her dentist recently found that her kids had cavities. Oh my God! Now she acknowledged that they eat a lot of sugar. Oh. They do eat a lot of sugar. Uh-oh. It's true. But she also noted that her dentist recommended against supplemental fluoride because the town's water supply should be doing the trick. It should be protecting everybody, despite how much candy and bullshit you eat, that you can't get cavities because of this, this water supply. Uh, the dentist was operating, making professional recommendations based on the state standards, which we all assumed were being met, and they were not, <laughs> Mather said. It's true. It's the fact that we didn't have the opportunity to give our informed consent that gives me. It's the informed consent, you understand? Oh, People want to know what's being put in their water supply. And if that precious sweet fluoride is being taken out of the water supply, then that's like... We have a right to know, okay? We have a right to know. We have a right to know. It's called informed consent, people. And if people just come in that are bought and paid for by special interests that say that they're scientists, they say that this is true, well, then we have to believe them. It's, it's, it's science. Oh, my goodness. When in the history of humankind has science ever been corrupted? It's the world upside down. Never. Never. Exactly. Uh, yeah, the addition of fluoride to public drinking systems has been uh, run around since the 40s and 50s. Hmm. But, you know, for some reason, it just doesn't sit right with certain people, and it never really has. Be- now, before we do go further, I just want to quick shout out uh, aesthetics in the chat. This, the the music that they're using for this video sounded so incredibly familiar, and no wonder they pulled it from the Magmore Caverns of Metroid Prime. Yep, which yep. Is a fantastic game, by the way. Nice catch. It's definitely an old school video game uh, soundtrack of some manner. Yes, but uh, please continue. Yes, and uh, and also in the chat, uh, Servo makes the right uh, impression that uh, the the right... Gosh, I cannot make words today. He makes the right assumption that the sodium fluoride in the water is a byproduct of coal fly ash and the aluminum industry. Uh, so thanks, Servo. Thank you, Aesthetics. And everybody else is hanging out in the chat. It's nice to see you all. Mm-hmm. Now, where did this discovery of fluoride being a, a useful agent against tooth decay... Begin. Where where was it discovered? Mm, how many guesses are you going to give me? I'll give you three guesses. Germany. No. Damn it. England. No. Damn it. Mm, uh, the Netherlands. No. Damn it. Womp womp. I'll give you a hint and a fourth guess. We are the only country in the world that <laughs> puts fluoride in the water. Oh, us. We found it. Oh, That's okay. right. Uh, if you play Fluoride 2, and introduce us to Dr. Frederick McKay. Fresh out of UPenn School of Dental Medicine in 1901, Massachusetts native Dr. McKay moved to Colorado Springs to practice dentistry. Upon arrival, he noticed the Colorado Springs locals had disgusting brown stains on their teeth, something he had not seen on the East Coast. These stains were permanent and severe, with some residents' teeth looking as if they had been covered in chocolate candy. 
McKay found no information on these infamous stained teeth in the medical literature and took matters into his own hands, beginning to conduct epidemiological research on the matter. Most practitioners in the area lacked interest in investigating it, but eventually, McKay garnered attention from local dentists of what became known as the Colorado Brown Stain. He moved to St. Louis, Missouri in 1905 to study orthodontistry and again noticed the same brown stained teeth in the locals. He then moved back to Colorado Springs and continued his quest for answers. The ball really got rolling in 1909 when esteemed dental researcher Dr. G. V. Black decided to see the phenomenon for himself in Colorado. When he first heard about the Colorado brown stain, he did not believe it as there had been no mentions of it in the dental literature. He went to Colorado because a study the Colorado Springs Dental Society conducted showed that 87.5% of nearly 3,000 local children had brown stained teeth. Upon arrival, Black walked around town and conversed with local children with the intent of studying their teeth. He noticed the condition was blatantly prominent in every group of children. He felt as though the Colorado brown stain was a serious deformity these children were stuck with for life. The Colorado brown stain. <laughs> the notorious, the infamous Colorado brown stain. CO brown stain. <laughs> oh, <laughs> I got a little red stain right there. Yeah, nice red stain from Dame Bullysteed, the Jazzbury crossing the streams. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, Dame Bullysteed. <laughs> grab you. Jazzbury tastes like Jazzbury. Let me grab you a, a towel there. Oh, thank you. That one got in my ear. I'm going to need a little Q-tip get that, that out of my ear. I think it's blood, actually. It might just be a straight-up chunk of artery. Mm. Is it, is it kind of like squishy? It's squishy and yet firm. Oh, squishy yet firm. It is. Oh, there she is. Razzle Ryan just boosted his 85-85 set, saying Eight of Pentacles donation. Ooh. Yeah, thank you, View Fountain, which I guess is working today. I get it. 8585. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Very true. I like it. Very legal. Very, very legal. And also very cool. So the brown stain. <laughs> so they discovered this Colorado brown stain. Uh, which nobody had really, I guess, it was a yet undiscovered dental ailment, as they put it. This is according to the story, you know. And uh, the story, by the way, can be corroborated. I have put in the show notes the official government website page on the story of fluoridation uh, at nidcr.nah.gov, the National Institute of Dental, and craniofacial research. Ooh, craniofacial craniofacial which is you know that's what you tell her at night i'm gonna give you never mind um it's (laughs) it's a it's an official it's an official story as it were and you can it's all it's all there in the show notes and you can find it out so dr frederick mckay from upenn and dr gv black uh join forces and they start traveling around starting in colorado springs but they eventually kind of shift around to certain other cities over the course of what ends up being a 20-plus uh, year engagement in these guys, that they're trying to figure out what this is, how they can treat it, and uh, and to do research at various towns where this sort of thing pops up. 
if you'll play Laura 3 McKay and Black. In that time, McKay and Black made two important discoveries. They found that Colorado Springs residents who had unstained permanent teeth were not at risk for developing stained teeth. However, local children who were waiting for their permanent teeth to come in were at risk of developing the stains. They also found that, despite the residents having grotesque teeth in appearance, these teeth were incredibly resistant to decay. McKay began to theorize that something in the water supply was staining residents' teeth brown, but the mystery was still a long way from being unraveled. McKay's theory was bolstered in 1923 when he met with parents in Oakley, Idaho, who claimed their children's teeth had been stained brown shortly after a communal water pipeline was constructed for Oakley residents. McKay analyzed the water and found nothing unusual, but still advised the borough administrators to abandon the pipeline and use another spring for water. A few years later, the children of Oakley were developing healthy, white teeth. Next, McKay and Dr. Grover Kempf of the United States Public Health Service traveled to Bauxite, Arkansas to investigate more reports of the brown stain. Bauxite was a company town supporting the Aluminum Company of America. Remember the Public Health Service and the Aluminum Company of America because they will be important to the story later on. Yes. I'm starting to see, see, ba, 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 ba. see a trend with these insert X chemical corporation of America, the the radium core of America, the aluminum company of America. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I was looking at the original Dow Jones uh, companies when the Dow Jones was first, the, the, Dow, Jones, the Dow Jones industrial average, which is a sort of a, a way to, monitor the progress of the American economy uh, through the stock market. It was created in 1896 by Charles Dow and originally composed of uh, 12 companies, which they pretty quickly expanded to 30. And I'm just going to run down a few of these companies. These are the first major companies of, of the turn of the century here. Allied Chemical, American Can, American Smelting, American Sugar, American Tobacco, Atlantic Refining, Bethlehem Steel, Chrysler, General Electric, General Motors, General Railway, International Harvester, International Nickel, um, Mack Truck, Motors, uh, Radio, Radio Corporation, Sears, Standard Oil, Union Carbide, Union Steel, Westinghouse Electric. Do you see a pattern here? Um, I'm not sure in which regards, I, I guess. They're all, they're all manufacturing. Ah, uh, yeah. Very... Um uh, you don't have what's the word I'm looking for? It's like the Amazons that are doing fuck fuck all, or the Googles that's trying to get into every single type of uh, yeah on, mean, like, online tech. They're the, very you, uh, specialized in their production. Yeah, the 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 economy then was very much shaped by the manufacturing, the industrial, and those were the biggest companies around, and then transportation to a certain degree as well, which is a part of that, and also. It's a part of it by by being a customer, but also a, a, a client. If if that makes sense, you need you they need each other and they feed off one another. Nowadays, for comparison, the top twenty companies in the Dow are like Salesforce, 3M, IBM, American Express, McDonald's, Coca Cola, um, Walmart. So th these are the companies now. Then it was all industry. It was all manufacturing, and that's where the power and the money lied, and that's what 
what the American government was in their pockets, mm-hmm. as it were. So these guys start traveling around and they are, are going to places like, for example, Bauxite, Arkansas, which, you know, the place is called fucking Bauxite. Uh, I'm sure it's <laughs> Bauxite, which is a source ore for aluminum. And it was found in abundant qualities in the area, and it boomed in in you know during World War II era, where the manufacturing reached its absolute apex, American manufacturing. And then when the war was over, it it died down. Um, but they keep finding fluoride in the water. Sometimes it's naturally forming, like in the case of in in Colorado, which is you know it just has a lot of it in the water as it is. Calcium fluoride, not sodium fluoride. And then you have uh, it here in Bauxite, Arkansas, which had much more sodium fluoride concerned. Interesting. Let's play the next clip. This is uh, fluorosis. Upon investigation, the children of Bauxite had the disordered teeth, but the children of neighboring towns did not. The two doctors investigated the water supplies, but again, found nothing peculiar. McKay and Kemp filed a report of their findings, which reached the chief chemist of that aluminum company, H.V. Churchill. Churchill was concurrently trying to dispute claims that aluminum cookware was toxic. He became worried that the happenings in bauxite would give his opponents more ammo to prove that aluminum was poisonous. Churchill decided to head over to bauxite and test the water using photospectrographic analysis, a method more sophisticated than McKay's. Churchill's assistant conducted the test of bauxite's water and found that it had high levels of fluoride. Churchill said to his assistant, Whoever heard of fluorides in the water? You have contaminated the sample. Rush another specimen. His assistant obliged and did another assay of the water and again found that it had been contaminated with high levels of fluoride. In 1931, Churchill wrote a five-page letter to McKay detailing his findings of fluoridated water and instructed McKay to collect samples from towns experiencing the notorious brown stain. Within months of collecting and analyzing water samples, McKay's 30-year mission came to an end. High levels of fluoride in water supplies indeed caused the discoloration of tooth enamel, now referred to as fluorosis. Hmm. Thoughts? I'm just... In what year again are we work, uh, looking at here? We're looking at like... Uh, this is like 1910, 1920. I just... I, I couldn't imagine spending 30 years... <laughs> <laughs> doing this shit <laughs> trying to wrap my head around this <laughs> yeah and traveling around when traveling was so much more difficult to go all the way from colorado to arkansas to here to there it's just like jesus christ it's, it's uh it was much more difficult back then to do all that so these guys obviously they made a good living and they and they got in with the right people they started uh talking to to the big big shots at the time now, we talked about bauxite. Bauxite was the location of uh, a big a big spot for the Aluminum Corporation of America, which they keep bringing up. The Aluminum Corporation of America still exists today. It's called Alcoa Corporation, and Blue Douche 33 uh, has uh, mentioned that, as well as pointing out that, yes, there are brown stains all over America. Um, it's not just the Colorado brown stain. It's the American brown stain. Um, 
So Alcoa, the Aluminum uh, Corporation of America, which was founded uh, at the turn of the 20th century by none other than Andrew Mellon. Are you familiar with Andrew Mellon? No, but I love the name. Andrew Mellon, are you, are you familiar with Carnegie Mellon? Yeah. That, he's the, the Mellon in that. Okay. And his family is one of the old school, great American industrial families. And he's one of the great, great businessmen. And uh, he was in cahoots with the Rockefellers. They were, they were, you know, discovering all these different chemical processes, the Bayer process or Bayer process, uh, which was the dominant process at the time for production of aluminum uh, from bauxite ore. Uh, Bayer now being the Monsanto Bayer, of course. Mm-hmm. So it all strings back to this sort of time period. And uh, they, they completely destroyed this town, but they also hired these guys to come in and, you know, alter their studies a bit, find this, find that. They wanted to definitely know what the, what the truth was about the situation so that they could hide it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> We're going to need to find out some things uh, before we can progress further. They want to yes. sell people on the wrong messaging. <laughs> no. We want the real science so that we can tell people the real science. The, the realer the realer, the most realer science. Yes, indeed. And science is something that you can trust. If you can please play fluoride five, trust the science. Before this time, it had been known that fluoride was one of the most toxic compounds in Earth's crust. It was also a byproduct of many industrial processes, most notably the production of aluminum. By the 1920s and 30s, it was the subject of multiple regulations and lawsuits. This became very consequential in 1938 because of the aluminum industry's importance due to the Second World War. Also in 1931, the Public Health Service sent dentist H. Trendley Dean to the West to study the effects of fluoridation on people's teeth. He found that towns with higher amounts of natural fluoride in the water had citizens with fewer cavities. He also found that these people's teeth were often discolored and eroded, but I guess that's neither here nor there. The Mellon Institute, the Aluminum Corporation of America's research lab in Pittsburgh, commissioned Gerald J. Cox to conduct a study. He fluoridated his lab rats' drinking water and pretty much just decided that their cavities had been reduced. He rushed to conclude that this was proof of fluoride-preventing cavities. Although fluoride was found to prevent cavities, the general consensus at the time was that fluoride was a poison. In 1936, the Journal of the American Dental Association stated, Fluoride at the one part per million concentration is as toxic as arsenic and lead. There is an increasing volume of evidence of the injurious effects of fluorine, especially the chronic intoxication resulting from the ingestion of minute amounts of fluorine over long periods of time. In 1939, Cox, who had been getting paid by an aluminum company facing fluoride lawsuits, came out publicly to propose mandatory water fluoridation. Other bought and paid for scientists did the same. Around that time, extensive studies of thousands of children confirmed that there was also an inverse relationship between regions where the water supply was found to contain fluoride and the rate of tooth decay. Later, other studies showed that towns that switched from fluoridated to non-fluoridated water experienced increased tooth decay. Researchers sought to put enough fluoride in the water where tooth decay would be prevented, but fluorosis would not occur. 
With more accurate ways to measure fluoride concentrations, it was determined that water fluoride content of less than one parts per million was enough to prevent tooth decay, but not enough to cause severe fluorosis in most people. This determination was later proved wrong when the CDC analyzed the teeth of the nation's teens and found that 40% of them had some degree of dental fluorosis with cloudy spots, streaks, and even brown teeth and tooth erosions. But virtually all scientists agree. Virtually all of them do until they don't, and then they redo again. <laughs> Sorry. After could, somebody talks to them. Could you, uh, could you, uh, resubmit that paper, please? Oh, I find that this is incorrect science. That's a good one. That's a good lad. <laughs> yes. Now, uh, over the examining bench, please. <laughs> Boosting Dr. Gimp. Boosting Dr. Gimp. <laughs> uh, yes, yeah, so various scientists are paid off to skew study findings to prove that minute amount of fluoride actually helped reduce tooth decay, when in fact they usually just cause fluorosis. And then they eventually got to the point where they said, well, we found the exact right balance. Uh, even though there are other studies that show that this is poison, we found in our study that there's just the right balance between, you know, <laughs> this and that. And, and if we do it right, then it should be just perfect. Yeah. And then the CDC later was like, actually, that's wrong, but we're not going to do anything about it. <laughs> that's a little above our pay grade. Yeah. What, <laughs> why rock the boat? People yeah, have enough problems as it is. But I don't really think you understand. It's just the way that it's always been. It's just always been that way. It's literally always been that way. So why, you know, if it ain't Baroque. If it ain't broke, don't fix it. You exactly. know what I'm saying? Exactly. Yeah. It's, yes. just, it's just the motion of the ocean, baby. <laughs> <laughs> we're just grooving with the moon, baby. We're mm. just, we're just, it's all good. This because that's what science is. Science is, you know, hey, if there's a little bit of a discordant nature about what we're talking about, we should just give it a nice little convenient oversight. Science is a little greasy. Science is a little greasy sometimes. Yeah, it's very gray water. There's a there's a lot of cogs that need that lubrication. Mm-hmm. Lots of moving parts yeah. to grease. And you don't want anything worn down, you know? You want to make sure that everything's uh, well paid for and maintained. Yeah. Oh, Sir Booberry, this train is moving forward. Yeah, man. We got, we're we not got, moving back. We got results that we're looking for. Very um, sp specific results. Uh, yeah. Within yeah. a very tight parameter. We're on track. We're on script. You've got the plot. Yeah. <laughs> Just fucking play your part and take this money. This track only goes one way. That's right. Forward, <laughs> motherfucker. Well, we're throwing you off the train. Yeah. Why don't you uh, let them know about this nice little convenient oversight that science has provided us? Interestingly, much of this data had come from places with naturally fluoridated water in the form of calcium fluoride. The manufacturing byproduct that gets dumped into water supplies is sodium fluoride. The metal that binds fluoride is a key determinant of its chemical and biological properties. So to extrapolate that sodium fluoride would have the same effects seems like a convenient oversight. <laughs>
<laughs> it's so fucking convenient. <laughs> it's so fucking easy. 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 Mm-hmm. So, as the gentleman said, the metal that binds fluoride determines the chemical and biological properties. One is sodium, and the other is calcium. Uh, not metal that binds, but you know what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. Uh, and one is simply not like the other. Uh, to conclude, the two compounds are immediately comparable. Seems like, indeed, a convenient oversight. Now, we have the final clip here. My final clip, which is when things start to get a little heated. This is when lawsuits start to happen uh, during World War II. Everybody is forced to be on the train. We're going one way. You're with us or against us. And most people were with, were with them. Most people were... Were for America at the time. There was a major enemy. And there was a lot of hope for the future, and people wanted to see it through. And once the war was over, the American manufacturing machine was just so ramped up, and we were able to produce and 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 make so many different things at such an unbelievable rate that uh, times were good. But it came at a cost. If you can please play conflicts of interest. During World War II, fluoride lawsuits piled up, and the Journal of the American Medical Association came out and said, Fluorides are general protoplasmic poisons, changing the permeability of the cell membrane by certain enzymes. Here's where it gets crazy. Over the coming years, the Public Health Service would adopt an extremely pro-fluoridation stance. The Public Health Service was under the jurisdiction of the Treasury Department, the Treasury Secretary at the time was none other than billionaire Andrew Mellon. Mellon was the founder of the Aluminum Corporation of America, the biggest firm in the aluminum industry. And y'all don't have a problem with this? You just gonna let this slide? In 1945, after much debate and discussion from public health agencies, a vote passed to fluoridate the drinking water of Grand Rapids, Michigan. On file with the Cardi Dental Society are statements from members of the medical profession over and over again that they have seen no ill effects from the fluoridation of the Grand Rapids water. The dental office. Grand Rapids became the town with the first purposely fluoridated water supply in the world. After 15 years of a study of 30,000 Grand Rapids children, researchers found that the rate of dental cavities declined by 60%. In 1947, President Truman appointed Oscar R. Ewing as the head of the Federal Security Agency, which encompassed the Public Health Service. Ewing and the Public Health Service launched the push for mandatory fluoridation and mobilized establishment groups of dentists and doctors. Ewing's goal was to unite the establishment center and the respectable left to advocate against the right-wing anti-fluoridation kooks, such as the John Birch Society which was outspoken on the matter. To manage the public relations for this campaign, he hired none other than the father of public relations, Edward Bernays. Here comes some more insanity. Before Ewing arrived in Washington, he was the longtime legal counsel, and at the time, chief legal counsel, of the Aluminum Corporation of America. His legal efforts for the company were earning him $750,000 per year, or the equivalent of just under $11 million in today's money. Call me a conspiracy theorist, but this seems like a minor conflict of interest. All right, you got me. You spanked me with that one. Uh-huh, uh-huh, I got gotcha. you. 
<laughs> I got you with Daddy Bernays, didn't I? Oh, yeah, you know it. Oh, <laughs> hashtag forward slash our guy. <laughs> oh, our guy. Does this guy show up everywhere or fucking what? Or fucking what, man? Ugh. Dude, Edward Bernays, you son of a bitch. Yeah, the uh, the the Liberty Smokes dude, and uh, the man—he's the reason that women smoke cigarettes and we eat bacon for breakfast. He's a psycho. He's everywhere. Absolutely insane. A relative of uh, Freud, and uh, the the granddaddy of public relations as we know it in the modern world. Yeah, they oh, really they a, really wanted that fluoride in there. If they brought in him, they're like, <laughs> we need it. We we gotta have this. We, yeah, we have to do this. That's how you know that this just comes straight from the top. It's the it, it's the most money. It's it's all conflict of interest. It's he. Uh, it's like when they put Kissinger on the nine eleven commission. It's like okay, yeah, all right, <laughs> okay. definitely legitimate. Not most, covering up anything here. Most definitely legitimate. There's some guys. It's just like when they're on your team, you're like, oh shit, that's not good. Like, oh, Hitler's on your team. Cool. <laughs> you must be the good guy. Oh, my goodness. That's my most normie way of putting it for all the normies out there. Uh, but on top of uh, our boy Edward Bernays, there's also a couple other characters that are of interest. We have Oscar Ewing, who is appointed by President Truman to be the head of the Federal Security Agency, which controlled the public health service. So this guy was in charge of basically public health in the United States, and he was a longtime corporate attorney for the Aluminum Corporation of America. So he was part of the revolving door, as it were. And he worked for Andrew Mellon, mm-hmm. who was the founder of that company, and who was also the 49th Secretary of the Treasury. So at this time, up until the stock market crash of 1929, he was literally the Secretary of the Treasury, so you, the the head of aluminum was there. You have the you have his his lawyer being the head of public health. the The government was very much in the pockets of of this corporation and of this individual in particular, Andrew Mellon. They have a funny scene. This is uh, kind of off kilter, but for anyone who's ever watched Boardwalk Empire, they have a scene where Nucky Thompson, um, Steve Buscemi, the main guy in that show, approaches. Andrew Mellon, who's played by a great actor who I'm forgetting the name of right now, but you'd recognize him immediately if you saw him. Um, and uh, and the, he just is a character in that, and that whole show kind of takes place during the Roaring Twenties, and it's just interesting. He, he was such a, a titan at that time, just such a massive individual uh, in, in the country, one, one of the oligarchs, if you will. And he's not really remembered much these days except for through Carnegie Mellon is the main way that most people know about him or know about the family name. He's known for his philanthropy, just like all these guys of that era, from Rockefeller on down, all of these guys spent the last years of their life giving all of their money away in a desperate attempt to rehabilitate their image. Because everybody in the country fucking hated them. To, To win the people's hearts and minds over... Does that remind you of any mega billionaires of our time, Sir Booberry? Um, hmm. I think I'd have to think about it. Well, <laughs> I'd really have to stew on it. 
<laughs> Your windows have closed. <laughs> yeah. Do not uh, ship directly to house. No. We're going to control Z that. Uh, yeah. That's Floyd. That's the sort of beginning in a nutshell. Like I said, this clip goes on and on and they talk more about it, but I just, I wanted to at least introduce these characters and kind of just set up the taste for the whole thing, which is, it was obviously contrived by special interests and the, the fluoride that's put in our water is industrial runoff. There's no way ifs, ands or buts about it. It's your choice as a, as a, (laughs) as an informed citizen to go, yes, I understand that it is industrial runoff and I want it in my water anyway. <laughs> it's my industrial waste and I need it now. I want it now, god damn it. And that is consent. That's that's medical consent. People are going, yeah, I love that. That's great. I want more of that. Because it's always <laughs> been that way. It's just the way it has always been, man. Don't question it. Just drink it. Just drink it. Drink it. Drink this. Drink now. It. Drink this now. Yeah. You don't get a choice. You will not get tooth decay. <laughs> We're just bullshit. Everybody has fucking cavities. Come on. We eat high fructose corn syrup in everything we eat. Everything we consume has this fucking shit in it. That's not giving us tooth decay? Anyway. That's my bit on uh, on fluoridation. Do you have any parting thoughts? Uh, I do appreciate that they were, uh, in this clip, they referenced... Utilizing left-wing politicians and, and doctors to uh, further uh, help along the big push. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, big and then push. of course the name drop. I mean, just that's so that's so fucking fun. You get uh, Bernays. You got the John Birch Society in there. Uh, John one, Birch, one half of Carnegie Mellon. Uh, Mellon. Mm-hmm. Carnegie was a piece of shit too. We can we can do them another time. Uh, I've never done Carnegie, but I'd do one. I've never done a car- Carnegie before, <laughs> but I'd do one. <laughs> yeah, uh, the John Birch Society, which I didn't really address, and thank you for bringing that up. That's like the original. That's like what people compare the MAGA movement now to. They were like the major conservative force of their day. Yeah, and didn't they? Uh, they released that none dare call it a conspiracy book. I think. Uh, I'm not sure. Perhaps. None dare call it a conspiracy. Probably. For the time. Everything's based on them. The the, uh, the Heritage Foundation, which is the Koch brothers and Coors family, conservative think tank, is totally derived from the John Birch Society. Um, yeah. The, the Trump movement is takes a lot from that whole thing. That The specific Trump movement, you know, I'm talking about the Trump Trumpers. Talking about like the McDonald's of the conservative element. Mm. So, yeah, uh, got all those all those good characters in there, and of course, if you go to zososcorner.substack.com, episode one twenty, you will find all of this information there and a couple of uh, cool images and, and things like that to clarify. But aside from that, uh, I have Market Watch stuff which is just very brief just to want to throw a couple numbers out there and talk about the one years we got we got everything is tanking right now <laughs> bye 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 uh th- there's so much going on 
in the markets and, and it's it's kind of hard to keep up with it, but it's all just slipping and sliding, peeping and hiding. Been told a long time ago that this thing is fucking going down. Um, I, I picked three things in particular and I have the images of the one year charts in the show notes. We have SPX, or the S&P 500 uh, ETF, which is basically the overall monitor of the American economy, or so I've chosen here, although I could probably pick a better one, but this is the most used one. You have uh, the S&P 500, you have gold, and you have Bitcoin. Now, for the one year, in one year, the overall American economy, the, the S&P 500, is down 17%. <laughs> bye, bye. Bye. Bye, bye, bye. <laughs> Bye-bye. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Bye-bye. 17% down. Currently at $3,600, roughly $3,612.40 uh, for a share of the SPX ETF. For anyone who's interested in that number. Gold. You would think that in times of hardship, gold would be going up. It is not. Gold is down a whopping 5% on the year. Uh, it was hovering around about $2,000 an ounce. Right now it is at $1,668 an ounce, which is very cheap. Ooh, going to buy some gold? Buy gold! <laughs> I think if you're going to buy gold, it's not a bad time to do it. It's not a bad time at all. I don't like market timing strategies. I don't think that anybody really does. Even if you listen to the shows like DH Unplugged, Horowitz isn't a big timing guy. He doesn't like to like be like, oh, buy now, buy here, buy then. But you just should always be buying. Always be buying. Uh, especially when things are down. And I'm telling you, gold is down. So you can always give it a shot there. And then you have Bitcoin. Poor old Bitcoin. Oh, boy. How, how far down do you think Bitcoin has gone this year, in the last year? Not far enough. Not far enough, I agree. <laughs> I agree. I want it, but it, I want it. I want it cheap. I want it. I want it super oh. cheap, so I can dump dumb money into it. <laughs> I want to put some dumb money in that. Dumb Everybody money, does, son. Every time you check the volume, it's like, oh, ninety-four percent of people are buying. Wow. I guess so, huh? But mm. yes, it, it percentage-wise, I'll give you a guess. How how far down do you think Bitcoin is down for the year? Mm, I'm gonna go. Uh, I'm going to go 37%. Oh, 65%. This rabbit hole does not end with meeting Alice. That's right. Bitcoin has lost 65% of its value this year. Womp womp. Given from where it was exactly one year ago. It is currently, well, at the time of me putting this in the notes, it was at $19,237 a coin. Been hovering at 20000 for the last couple months. Uh, when it came, came down from like sixty seventy thousand, 70000 and it seemed to have found a strong resistance at $20,000 a coin. But it's been trickling down and down. And once it breaks that resistance, I think it could go as low as maybe 10000 a coin or even lower. You know what? You're right. We should, we should just, we should give up on Bitcoin. We should cash out now while the going's good. Yeah, everyone should. <laughs> Just sell your Bitcoin. Yeah, sell it. <laughs> to whoever sucker's going to buy it all up. Yeah, buy NFTs. Buy now. NFT. A-U-S-A. Mm. 
<laughs> Sorry, I'm gonna go wash my mouth out. Yeah, during get intermission. The good soap. Yeah, you need to get. Oh, it's it's called MAGA, not MAGA. Now, thanks, Bully Steed. Sounds French. Yes, it uh, probably is. Uh, yeah. So I just I like bringing up Little Margaret Watch. You know, our show is on a Monday. As a matter of fact, it's every Monday night at seven thirty Pacific, eight thirty Mountain Time for all the blue douches out there. Nine thirty Central and ten thirty Eastern. And uh, Monday is a fun day in the stock market world. It's uh, Monday and Friday. Those are the big days. Everybody waits around all weekend. What's what's going to happen on Monday? What's going to happen on Monday? And then Monday comes. Bam. Bam. Stinky dang. Mm. <laughs> Stinky. Stinky dang. <laughs> so good. But yeah. Just, uh, you know. Sawing into it. <laughs> <laughs> she loves it in there. Don't worry about it. Uh, yeah. Little market watch for you. Behind the schemes market watch. Bye, 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 people. Yeah, I uh, I want to get into another uh, Ring of Fire here soon, I think. But um, there's a couple of uh, bigger projects I got to get worked out first before I can kind of recommit to getting adequate levels of Bitcoin for rings. Um, but yeah, I, you know what? It's uh, I'd say if you do feel like it's going to dip down under 10K, I think... I think it would be wise to maybe have a raspy blitz ready to go uh, before that. Yes, you're probably right. I think now would be an interesting time to get all that fired up, get my own node. Mm-hmm. I'm just That's always on the docket. It hangs over me like a goose in the night, Booberry. I think about it all the time. Well, we just got to find you the Raspberry Pi, get you like four days to get it uh, all synced up, and... um. I wish I had been a little more clever about documenting certain onboarding processes, but, uh, you know, we'll, we'll get it figured out. Yeah. It, but, you know, honestly, after all this talking, I feel like I should get a Jazzberry Pi. <laughs> yes, you should absolutely uh, buy yourself a Jazzberry Pi. <laughs> <laughs> Shit, I get that for free, you know what I'm saying? You know what I'm saying? Let's go. <laughs> let's go. Let's go. Oh, speaking of let's go, uh, we did have a boostagram come in in the middle of that segment. We should have should totally hit. Um, we had twenty one eighty eight through fountain from none other than the love of my life, the beautiful, the funny, the cute, the talented. The delicious. It's none other than Nam from Millennial Media Offensive. <laughs> Nam. Nom. Mm. Delicious. Nom, 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 Delicious. He said, putting drugs in the water has only accomplished turning the freaking frogs gay. You're making the freaking frogs gay. <laughs> Put the chemicals believe in the me, water. they're pretty, pretty fucking gay. Turning fucking gay? Freaking frogs gay. Frogs are fucking gay? <clears throat> Turn the freaking frogs gay. <laughs> just permanently embedded in the american lore the american psyche just that one clip i love one, it one of the greatest of all time yeah it's a classic man that's right don't no, leave, don't leave home without it <laughs> i never do i can never leaves me i can never escape i can never get out of this cave the shadows aren't real the shadows yeah <laughs> 
No need to pay attention to the shadows. And the shadows. I'd be more worried about the sticky notes if I was you. Oh my god. Oh my Once god. I'll get to the mountaintop. <laughs> the sticky note of truth. Yes. Um, let me uh I'm gonna read you, you know. a text message that came through. That's what I'm gonna do. Dan Gehring. And that message says, Christopher Battles is basically audio amphetamines with his voicemails, and this particular angry leprechaun appreciates that. In addition, if y'all haven't done so already, y'all should go balls deep into Tataria and the World's Fairs one episode. Balls oh, fuck yeah. deep. Oh, yeah, I'd get all up in that. I'm talking to the brim. To the brim. I like the World's Fair stuff. They uh they had a gentleman on uh, OBDM that uh, did a whole video presentation on it. Some crazy shit, man. Oh, that's so much fun. Here's some we, we talked about allegations. The met, the shit that fucking happened at those old school World's Fairs are so so much fun stories. Not only about technology, but about everything. Shit, Paps Blue Ribbon. Uh, there's a funny story that I'm not going to get into now, but remind me to tell you sometime. 1896, Chicago World's Fair. Paps Blue Ribbon was created there. They basically put on the Blue Ribbon before they were awarded anything. They're <laughs> like, see? Look, we're a Blue Ribbon beer. Hey, man, that's how, that's how you got to do it sometimes. You just right. got to slap that Blue Ribbon on there and and pretend like you own the place. Yeah, I know what I'm worth. I know what I'm worth. I, yeah, know your worth. No, your word. Right. I, I couldn't think of any any more perfect words. Know your worth. Know your worth. Know your worth. Know you. <laughs> uh, we have one voicemail. Let's do it. Fuck it. Hi there. This is Private Browsing from Seattle. Short time listener, first time caller. This one's for Lavish. I have to say, your voice is completely arresting. It has me all hot and bothered. You could talk about anything from cults to cons to cat videos, and I'd listen with rapt attention. If I may be so bold as to ask, what are you wearing? Whatever oh it is, you should bring it with you on your way up to the Pacific Northwest as soon as possible. We can go out for tea sometime while you read to me. I'll make sure your visit is sleepless in Seattle. Maybe <laughs> even throw in a little tossed salad and scrambled eggs. Ciao, handsome. All right. Oh, my goodness. That's right, people. Become a podcaster. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> Blueberry and Lapis, uh, just uh, a bunch of boobies. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, that's some that's a hot voicemail there. Geiger counter is going crazy, dude. Oh man, just blowing off the charts there. Ah, uh, one hundred one thousand one hundred fourteen sats from Servo saying hot and bothered. Hot and bothered. Hot. Clit. Yeah. Thank you. Wow. Uh, yeah, I'm I'm hot and bothered too. Uh, caller, you really. Put the SXXY into that voicemail. Thank you. Yes. I gotta I gotta put on my air conditioning or something. I gotta put on a fan. And and color. She can love who she wants to love. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> uh the, 
funny enough, this is not the first time I've heard people uh, attest to the vocal qualities of your voice. Uh, of course, there's the all-time favorite. Lavish also has a buttery voice. You know? Oh. And of course. I mean, he does a show with this guy called Lavash who just blows it. I <laughs> Uh, yeah, man. They look lavish as fuck. Very fun. Very legal. Very cool. Well, you know, if you uh, have anything you want to send me, you know, you just send me lavish at behindtheschemes.com. That's my email. And, you know, you can you can email me and you can tell me all about my voice. I, I'm not going to say no. I'm going to say I don't want to hear it. <laughs> I appreciate it. That's very kind of you to say. I uh, I like it. Uh, well, I could always, <laughs> never mind. I'm, I'm just going to leave that one alone. Um, <laughs> let's, uh, let's get rolling into Ooh. some intermission. I'm going to, yeah, I'm going to need to take a cold shower real quick. Step outside, step outside here. It is currently 50 to 57 degrees in the mini ocalypse. So, oh uh, man, chilling I, down already. Huh? Yeah. I think, uh, I think that should help a little bit with the, uh, curtain cir- circumstances. Um, oh, yeah. Cool you down. I got some I got some fun stuff per usual for tonight's intermission. Uh this first one, I don't think it ever made it onto the stream, but for those of you out there that remember the Rusty Gate music that was on the stream, I got a little special cover for you kicking this one off. And um I'll tell you the truth, I don't remember what else I put in there. But uh it was probably pretty funny. Um It's probably great, and it's all probably in the show notes. Ooh, we do have a killer 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 final uh musical track for this one get excited it's get wrecked. so good yeah it'll it'll wreck you it's gonna wreck your night okay yeah yeah fuck yeah carry on my wayward son there'll be peace when you are done lay your weary head to rest don't you cry no Oh, 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 
Besides the four band members' names on it, there was an attorney's name, there's our manager's name, and uh, uh, Yoda. Because they were ripping us off at a, time, at a time when we were only making $83.83 a week. They should have waited. And then it went from bad to worse. Yeah, we toured for a year, and they still owed a million dollars or something we, like that. We, Warner Brothers told us uh, that we owed them two million dollars. And, and on top of that, we owed him another record. Yeah. And it was the end of the year, we had three, three weeks to deliver another record. So I went to Ted and I said, Ted, let me get something straight here. We sold a million records, we toured for a year, and we owe you guys two million dollars. So if we had done 10 records and sold 10 million records, we would have owed you 20 million dollars? <laughs> <laughs> and he kind of looks at me going, that's all relationship for me. <laughs> okay, Derek, you ready? Yeah, I was born ready, Nick. Let's go, man. Dirk Diggler demo. Keep the vocals up. You got the touch. Take seven. Excuse me, Reed. You got the touch. You got the power. taken away from my vocal. Just take the bass down and bring up the vocals. Okay, let's do it, Nick. You heard him. You've been working on any new material? You want to tell us a joke? I've essentially been banned from Twitter. I say banned, although technically I have been suspended. But the suspension will not be lifted unless I delete the hateful tweet in question, and I would rather die than do that. Okay, I'm waiting for the punchline. Twitter did not do me the favor of actually specifying my crime, and there are many possibilities on that front. We unfortunately have to guess at why this has occurred, and that's actually a big problem in and of itself, and also indicative of the utter carelessness of the Twitter organization with regard to the propriety of its own sensorial actions. I should at least know exactly what I did wrong if I am required to acknowledge that my tweet violated the Twitter rules. What rules, you sons of bitches? What was it that I said that caused such a fuss? And that fuss is just beginning. Well, okay, I, I think I, I might understand that you did this to start a movement, to become a, a symbol? Precisely. Twitter's a rat hole in the final analysis, and I have probably contributed to that 
while trying to use, understand, and master that horrible, toxic platform. No doubt, I owe some apologies for that, and I'm trying to learn, but it's a relief in some real sense to be banned, and I regard it under the present conditions as a badge of honor. You finished? I mean, it's so much self-pity. You sound like you're making excuses. And I'm not taking down that tweet or acknowledging that my tweet violated the Twitter rules. Up yours, woke moralists. We'll see who cancels who. Near lunch, and I know you're. Yeah. Well, it was the salmon. Sometimes you just get get a wrong piece of salmon. Is that you? Well, I don't see anybody else in here who's going to be doing it. <laughs> Excuse me. Uh, but you can show it. I don't care. I just don't care anymore. These things don't bother me. All right. Well, then let's. We'll start now. Then we'll begin. Did you hear the starter pistol? <laughs> <laughs> Keep your ears open. <laughs> All right. Now we'll begin. Sure. Talking with Leslie <laughs> Nielsen. Yes. Plays the president. Yes. What's different about you and the real president? Nothing, just maybe one or two things. <laughs> we all out here in this world, and we all got to make it happen, and ain't nothing stopping me. So, like, I'm very hopeful and confident. After this interview, Ashif sent a picture of his penis to our producer. You can just do stuff. Like, you don't need anybody's permission or anything. You just, you, you just kind of come up with stuff you want to go do. You can just go do it. Okay, go be weird. Okay, bye. So why are you in front of a church? Well, a lot of people wear skirts and dresses to church, so it's kind of a natural hunting ground. So you're taking up skirts? Yeah, pictures up women's skirts. Seems wrong. It is wrong. It's completely wrong. There's nothing good about it. It's illegal, and in fact, it's immoral. Um, it's at best rude. So what do people do with these images that you take? Gratify themselves sexually somehow would seem to be the natural instinct. Feel wrong talking to you right now. Well, you should. Oh, shut up for a minute. Hold on. One, one, one's coming. Oops. Really? Oh. So does that usually work? Sometimes. Enough for it to be worthwhile. But it is going to bother you because you're human. And, and I was human. I am human still. Um, <laughs> but, um, but it. But I was just referring to myself in the past. Um, not that I was not human. Your, your, your middle name is Macho. But uh, I'm wondering if you ever cry. You ever, has a macho man ever cried? Oh, yeah. Really? Uh-huh. It's okay for macho men to show every emotion available right there, you know, because I've cried a thousand times, I'm going to cry some more. But I've soared with the eagles and I've slithered with the snakes and I've been everywhere in between. And I'm going to tell you something right now. There's one guarantee in life, and that there are no guarantees, yeah. And mm -hmm. I understand this, yeah. <laughs> Nobody likes a quitter. Nobody said life was easy, so if you get knocked down, take the standing eight count, get back up, and fight again, and you're a macho maniac. Dig it. I like the error messages from computers that say, Well, guess what, computer? I'm fucking crazy. Learn to expect me. Unexpected, bitch. Do you 
It's just one of those days. Welcome back to second, second half a show for Behind the Schemes, episode 120. Yes, indeed. It is episode 120. It's 10, 10, 2022. Did I stutter? <laughs> I don't think so. I did not. I did not. Uh, I don't know about you, but I'm feeling ramped up now. I feel oh? like I want to go crowd surf on plywood at Hell this very yeah. moment, dude. Yeah. Hell yeah, plywood. Grade C. The rough stuff. The no, rough grade D, stuff. as a matter of fact. <laughs> yep. <laughs> I want to feel the friction on my bones. Oh my goodness. 
Uh, well, uh, I dropped in the chat that I would like to come back to Second Second Half a Show with a, with a toast for everybody. Indeed, a toast. Yes, and I have uh, a sh- uh, prepared a shot of whiskey, the party batch. Ooh, a little whisk for your brisk? Mm-hmm. That sounds very lovely. I've got myself a nice Casadores Reposado Reserva. Mmm, tequila? Yes, indeed. Nice. Well, very and, cool. Uh, yeah, cheers to everybody listening, everybody in the green room, and everybody all over this this flat earth. <laughs> this flat plane. <laughs> uh, everybody under the firmament. Job bless. Uh, cheers. Cheers. <sighs> Tasty. Mm. Oh, my goodness. Prost. Ah, that's good. Good stuff, man. Ooh, bully to do with the Chianti toast, my friends. Chianti. That should be coming through any second. Uh, well, while we wait Servo, for Servo, Blue Douche 33, Oliver Hart, Rhizome Ryan, C-Dubs, Dark Lord RK, Bushi. Cheers to all of you. Yes, cheers. Cheers, Captain Oblivious. Fletcher, Captain Oblivious, the Bowlers. And this Private is the- browsing. <laughs> This is the part of the show where we like to take a moment to thank all of the people that came out and helped produce this episode. We call them Freaks of Hazards, and uh, they're all about the value-for-value model. Oh, there Mm. he goes. Oh, God. Right in my fucking mouth. Ugh. Mm. Mmm. Mmm. Fresh blood. Yeah. (laughs) I might... Uh, Feels good. I'm gonna... I'm gonna... I know this is a little out of the norm, but I... And I know that the goat's already dead, but I don't think it was enough. Try getting a reservation at Dorsian now, you fucking stupid bastard! You fucking stupid... God, I love that movie. We should watch that. Sounds like a victory to me. Good morning, Bizzle. Oh, and this is a Bizzle. It's a fucking party. She's been summoned. The number uh, of users in the green room matches the tattoo that I have on my arm. Very cool. <laughs> the answer to life, the universe, and everything? Indubitably. Indeed. That 42. ghost by... Uh, not ghost, but that goat... Yes, 42 indeed. And that goat was sent in by Servo. One for the road. One for the road. <laughs> One for the road. <laughs> and One uh, of my favorite things people say at parties... Uh, of course, the 8585 from Bully Steed through Fountain saying, I can't eat toast my friends. Yes. yes. Can't eat toast. Servo's got a nice Jame, Jame and son. Jame and son. Oh, <laughs> Jameson. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I'm here. Hello. Hi. <laughs> uh, but we had a couple people that I definitely want to uh, make sure get thanked for helping produce uh, this week. And uh, first off, we had Coffee Von Dustbubble returning with their monthly donation of uh, the magic number three dollars and thirty three cents. Which I Thank gotta you, get. Coffee. I'm gonna get a, a shirt for Coffee. I'm gonna, I'm gonna get Coffee a BTS shirt. And it's gonna be fucking lit. Yeah, and a BTS Coffee cup. Scoop a doop. Um, and then uh. I actually got a new little uh, piece of Python script from Nam, who does the Millennial Media Offensive. And this is a killer little device. I got a picture of it linked in the show notes. 
But uh, it'll show how many people are listening in on the BTS stream and then how many people are on the NAS stream. Gives me weather updates, tells me the current weather, current time, current date. It's got pod peen action. And I was like, well, damn, dude, it does all this. Can it do like a moon tracker? And now it tells me what fucking phase of the moon we're in, which is waning gibbous. If in case you're waning gibbous or gibbous, 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 waning gibbous, gibbous. I'm not sure actually. Yeah, I think it's a regional choice. Hmm. But that's awesome. Nam is uh, is quite the wizard. So thank you, sir. Yeah, it's uh, it's very cool, very legal. So I'm very much appreciative of it. And, yes, uh, indeed. You can catch his show, Millennial Media Offensive, uh, every Tuesday before DH Unplugged. Yeah, about 5.30 Central. Yeah, which is about 3.30 specific. Mm-hmm. And 4 to thir- uh, 4.30 Mountain Time. 4.30 Bluetooth Time. <laughs> yes, so uh, thank you, Nam. Rolling through the Blue Douche Mountains. Uh, we had uh, Baron Giants. Coming in right before the the stream started this evening uh, mm. for magic number action as well for three dollars and thirty three cents through the PayPal. Heyo! So thank you very much, Baron thank you, Giant. Baron Giant, I've been seeing that guy around on uh, the No Genda socials, and uh, he's a a gymnast for <laughs> Rare Encounter. <laughs> a gymnast? Yeah, it's uh, he he filthy. Yeah, I know. <laughs> the way <laughs> the way you bend. <laughs> A mental gymnast, eh? Uh and then uh who oh, of course, um just thank you to everybody that uh is always here and um was able to provide enough value that uh you know, we were able to get this Macedon server open through just PayPal donations. Um which I think is just phenomenal, really. And uh, yeah, it's awesome. I hope it's fine. I want to do some customization later on down the road. We'll see how that shakes out. But uh, yeah, definitely spook.social. Sign up and come hang out with us. Yes, indeed. Get off that old twatter. Nobody goes on that bullshit anymore. Mm-hmm. Find the new cool internet over yeah. at spook.social. Spook.social. You know, you want to. And, um, I'm not going to disclose what this is an image of, but I will disclose that I am so incredibly excited about uh, a project that we have working in the back channels, and that's all mm-hmm. I'm going to say on it. Yep. Uh, this this little project should come to fruition soon enough, and uh, when it does, I think we'll all be quite jitty for it. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to piss. That's what's going to happen. Yeah. When it happens, you're, you're going to see it and just be like, oh, there it goes. Uncontrollably. That means you're going to piss on him. Yeah. You're going to be piss on you. Yeah. Delicious. <laughs> the guy was getting fucking passed. <laughs> uh, pissing the night away. Pissing the night away. Yeah, pissing. Pissing. Pissing the night away. We uh, So that, that uh, concludes our Freaks of Hazards for this week. If you want to help support this show, you can head over to BehindTheSchemes.com, SCH3M3S, or BadRadio.Live. And anything that you have of value that you want to send to us, it is of value to us. Clips, show art, ISOs, stories, 
voicemails, all of it, uh, makes this the shit that you want to hear. Indeed it does. We are merely the channels, the conduits, if you will. We are, <laughs> we are the ones getting smacked around. I mean, other than her, yeah. <laughs> for the most part, we, except for, yeah, a couple people, we, yeah, like to get slapped around a little bit. But we like it too. So send us an email. You can send us an email at bootbehindtheschemes.com or lavishitbehindtheschemes.com. And uh, any conversation or any sort of information, it all helps. It's all very, very welcome. Yes. And we do have a, a voicemail that we can get into. Oh, very lovely. We are being lied to about everything. We're, we're being lied to about our food. We're being lied to about medicine. We're, we're being lied to about history. We're being lied to about our brains. <laughs> being lied to about our screens. We're being lied to about the internet. We're being lied to about lies. <laughs> primal i love it we're, li- we're being lied to about our lies <laughs> tell me we lies. are we're being lied to tell about our food lies. lied to about your lies that's how you know it's really bad yeah <laughs> uh buckle up partner it's about to get a whole lot worse buckle up buckaroo <laughs> buckle up buckaroo May I just say that Collar has a gift. He is a he is a, a Satan given gift of screaming. It's uh it's very spooky. I just want to put them all together and just have like an ongoing looping series of screams from this collar. Yeah. And uh, I want to go to sleep to it at night. I'm I'm gonna give I'm gonna give Collar a little karma. I mean I am the devil! Yeah. Oh my goodness. Well, that leaves when one I more. Pee. That leaves one more scream mail in the can. I think we'll sit on it to the end of the show, but don't let that stop you. Six one two two six three seven nine nine nine. We want to hear from you. That's right. That we want to hear from you. You there with the face. <laughs> And Unless no. you don't have a face. We're not just trying to be facist. No, we don't want to be facist. <laughs> not a couple of chauvinist facist pigs. <laughs> Pretty much. But yes, it's true. You say we have one voicemail, but this, this I know in my heart of hearts isn't true. Somewhere deep down, you, you want to give us a nice little call. 612-263-7999. And, uh, wow, that, um, I guess that gets us to second, second half for sure. The second, second half of show where things get a little fucking spooky, man. I'm, I'm actually, I'm a little glad that, uh, we, we had that little, um, shot of whiskey and, uh, all I can, I just, before I play anything, before I talk about anything, we got to get a little sage going. There's something spooky going around these here parts. And I have a clip. I have the mother of all clips to kick this party off. Are the mother clipper, the clip commander. Yes, the clip. Whenever you see clips, you'll see this face. 
to fucking rule the clip. Um, R, I just want to make sure that you're ready. Uh, I'm ready. I am ready. All right. Here we go. Psychological operations, or psyops, are often meant to demoralize the enemy or convince local populations to stay away from combat areas. This usually takes the form of leaflets or posters or the occasional loudspeaker message, but sometimes these troops go full fucking spook and go hard with the scare tactics. Like that time they became vampires and ghosts to scare America's enemies. That's right. We are talking about CIA staged vampire attacks and spectral hauntings the cia are behind vampires the cia was behind vampires in, oh. in the philippines of all places oh okay yeah yeah it's we, all starting to come together and we kind of spread ourselves out uh after directly after world war ii you know we had to make sure that uh certain situations were taken care of as it goes oh, yeah. we yeah. went from from you know, island to island, spreading our justice. Yeah, with a big stick. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm. Come quietly with a big stick. That's what Teddy Roosevelt said. Mm-hmm. This is true. It's very true. Documented, actually. Yeah. It's in the Library of Congress. Uh, so I gotta, before we get into the CIA coming to the Philippines, I suppose it would be important to know the situation at the time, right after World War II. Um, for example, what was going down between Japan and the Philippines. Uh, what we're going to find is a situation of freedom fighters versus the career politicians and business people of Japan and the Philippines and the United States all just kind of conglomerating into mm. one giant gooey uh, smorgasbord, smorgasbord of power players. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, so uh, these guys uh, end up still being in charge somehow. During the beginning of World War II, the majority of the Philippines were captured by the Japanese military. As soon as the imperial military had taken over the Philippines, they began to use its people and resources for the war effort. And not only did the people of the Philippines have things like their food and farms stolen by the Japanese, but in some cases, the military would even begin to steal their women and children. So, as you can imagine, several of the Philippine people began to fight back. The primary group of Philippine freedom fighters were known as the Huk Balahop. The Huk Balahop, also known as the Huk Rebellion, is an acronym that translates to the People's Anti-Japanese Army. During the war, the Americans would use the help of the Huks in order to destroy the Japanese holdouts that were within the Philippines. And as the Japanese began to clear out of the region, the Americans would begin to enlist the help of Filipino businessmen and elected leaders. However, this is where the problems begin. So during the beginning of World War II, before America got involved and Japan was taking over the Philippine Islands, several of the businessmen and politicians tried to earn the favor of the Japanese so that they would have a more favorable outcome as the war progressed. So in the first years of the war, several of these leaders and landlords had allied themselves to the Japanese and would not only feed and house them, but give them advice about fighting their own people who were in the people's anti-Japanese army. So at the end of the war, whenever the U.S. government was trying to reinstitute the Filipino government, and they did it using the pre-existing leaders of the Philippines, that doesn't go over well with the people who have been fighting them for the past four years, as you could imagine. Because several of these leaders had helped the Japanese destroy their country, and then America comes in and says, yeah, these guys are still in charge. 
it's kind of a sticky mm. situation, as you can imagine. I mean, you yeah. got your uh, local authorities <laughs> literally giving your enemies uh, the, the skinny on how to kick your ass. <laughs> that seems like a massive betrayal. Mm, no doubt. Um, so the Hux end up growing this local resistance to the government, right? And, mm-hmm. uh, and we'll see classic examples of, um, you know, this new leadership being ins- installed. And, uh, the first thing that they got to do is, well, make sure that they get fed. So they start pulling food from all of the locals and whatnot, but, uh, <laughs> we'll continue on because it's going to get violent. And while tensions were high, there was no direct violence, at least until 1946, when the leader of the PKM, a group that the Hucks were allied to, was murdered, then they decided to get violent again. They changed their name from the People's Anti-Japanese Army to the People's Liberation Army, but still went by the name of Huck. And as America was trying to make a new government for the Philippines, the Hucks would smuggle weapons into the mountainside and begin to grow local resistance. It also didn't help the government's case that these local leaders who had previously had to do things under the watchful eye of the Japanese military were now pretty much given free reign by the Americans. So as soon as these leaders got power, they began to take a bunch of the food and resources from farmers and essentially just be a jerk to the peasant class that they didn't care for which helped to increase support for the opposing Huck Rebellion. And by 1949, it's estimated that the Hucks had anywhere from 11,000 to 15,000 active fighters. Now, this, this is a real uh, grassroots movement, of course. And uh, they're winning over the hearts and minds of the local populations by kind of um, imbibing, in, imbibing? Uh, in this Robin Hood sort of, you know, we're, we're fighting back the, the corrupt power taken from the mm. rich, given to the poor and whatnot. Uh, mm. But it ended up growing up, expanding so much that a lot of people started committing crimes in the name of the organization, uh, whether it be uh, theft, murder, rape. It was, oh, well, this is, you know, for the Hucks, right? Mm-hmm. So it, that started kind of sour to sour public opinion about them. Um, and it should also be noted that a lot of sources will go straight to the... You know, the CIA, they're trying to fight back communism everywhere. Uh, the Hux, they're in league with the Soviets. They are a direct one-to-one communist organization. Uh, Wendigoon, mm-hmm. who I pulled this video from, um, he makes the claim that there was a small subsect that was Soviet-adjacent, but for the most part, it, you're looking at a uh, politically unaffiliated, unaffiliated organization. Huck um, at its core was. Yes. The the Hucks at their core were communists. <clears throat> they they were communists or they they were communists. Yes. They were not unaffiliated. Correct. All right. Um let's see is there any uh, just the way that you bring up cuz it seems like there's like the two factions you have Huck who are the communists and then you have the old Japanese leadership the probably the the affluent class well, that and was they, running things and before. they they ended up becoming the local uh, government. Um, mm-hmm. the, the affluent affluent class. Yeah, um, you know, So after, this is the main staple of of communism is that you you knock those guys out and you distribute all that all those resources to peasants who don't unfortunately don't know what to do with it and they usually squander it as is in the case with uh yeah with uh was it uh, Ukraine I guess back in the day when they were starved six million under Stalin 
Mm. That sort of thing happen. <laughs> Mal. <laughs> Mal, of course. Starve them, starve them, starve them again. You you kill what Mal called the wealthy peasants. <laughs> uh, well, this is this is starting to turn into a problem. We got all of this uh, criminal activity being conducted by the Hux. It's creating a lot of unrest in the area. We got to send in the big boys. We got to call in your local local uh, CIA branch. Enter Lieutenant Colonel Edwards Lansdale. So, in 1950, the Pentagon sent one of their best men to the Philippines, Lieutenant Colonel Edward Lansdale. Now, if you're weird like I am and into crazy Cold War PSYOP stuff, Lansdale is a very familiar name. He wrote the book for what would become the majority of PSYOP tactics from Vietnam forward. He's also very instrumental in a lot of special forces training and tactics and adventures that they would go on later. And he was actually one of the founding members of the CIA. Before World War II, when he would join the military, Lansdale was an advertising executive in San Francisco. From that job, he developed knowledge as to how people's mm. minds work and how to convince them of what you want them to think. So whenever he joined the military during World War II, he was sent to the Operation of Strategic Services, or the OSS, which after the war, the members of it created the Central Intelligence Agency, or the mm -hmm. CIA. So Lansdale, one of the first ever CIA agents, gets to the Philippines in 1950 and creates something called the Civil Affairs Office. The Civil Affairs Office was a means for Lansdale to communicate with Filipino leaders of how they can best destroy the Filipino rebellion. As an expert in psychological warfare, Lansdale said that the best way to convince a people of what you want them to think is by using their own truths and ideas against them. So after analyzing the situation and speaking with other leaders, Lansdale determined that the majority of Filipino people were very superstitious and had a lot of religious beliefs tied to local tradition. So he decided that that is how he's going to get them. Mm-hmm. Use their religion against them, of course. Of course, man. <laughs> it's the oldest one in the book. Oldest, most effective. You want safe and effective, you go for the religion. Yeah, and religion can take all different kinds of forms. It doesn't have to be a church. People can find religion in, oh, I don't know, false science, certain mm. things. Yes. There's all kinds of things that could be considered religion. Now, uh, Lansdale, born 1908, and he's from Detroit. Uh, he attended the University of California at Los Angeles. Uh, mm -hmm. Did not graduate. He ended up dropping out, but uh, became an advertising executive. I believe that's where Jack Parsons went, is it not? I would... UCLA? I would have to check back. I don't remember off the top of my head. Uh, I think they were probably neighbors and contemporaries. Quite, quite probable. Um, or at least, well, Jack Parsons, I guess, was maybe 10, 20 years before. But still, he's probably around some capacity. Uh, let's see here. He joined the Army as a captain in 1943, rose to major by 47... When he left the army during World War II, he also served in the Office of Strategic Services. Uh, and then he allegedly joined the Air Force as captain that same year, uh, but it's often hypothesized that that was more of a cover for him. He as joined he, as a captain? Yeah. He joined the army as a captain. That is, I think that's pretty unusual. I mean, they were at war back then, and I'm sure that they were just trying to get in whoever they could. In, in real times of war, you start putting strange people in 
in officer positions, but it's very rare that a civilian with no military training should join the army as a as high a rank as captain and without major political connections. Uh, I'm I'm really not sure. That sounds interesting, uh, but I, I I really wouldn't know too much about the rank and file mm-hmm. of the various branches and whatnot. All right, well, it just that for some reason that stuck out to me. But uh, all right, sounds good. Yeah. Um. So I mean, Lanzell, he's no stranger uh, to market research, <laughs> motivational techniques, uh, media, and deception. You'll find lots of uh, pamphlet handing outs. Uh, leaflet handing outs. Mm-hmm. Passing of the leaflets. He was leaflets. a PR guy. He was a, a Bernays type guy. Exactly. That's why I was so giddy that you uh, that you pulled that one out. Mm-hmm. It's all coming full circle. Full circle. Uh, continuing on, let's uh, let's get into a little more on Lansdale's uh, tactics i guess what would you call it the way that you start to study people to to learn their his um, his methodology yes the methodology you got to know your shit whether it was taking part in the u.s military's hundreds of attempts on fidel castro's life or writing vietnamese astrological almanacs to better understand the spiritual side of the Viet Cong, in the art of war sun tzu wrote if you know the enemy and you know yourself you need not fear the result of a hundred battles. This was a mantra that Lansdale took to heart as he immediately set a contingent of his men to study the local folklore and superstition. The Hooks were a populist group, formed largely of conscripted volunteers from local villages during World War II. As a result, many of them were staunch believers in local Philippine legends. Lansdale knew this and intended to take advantage of it. But in case you think Lansdale was being a real blue-sky thinker here, this wasn't even the first time the U.S. government had used supernatural tactics to gain a psychological advantage in battle. During World War II, the Nazis were notoriously superstitious people who invested a lot of resources in the occult. Heinrich Himmler, the leader of the terrifying Nazi SS, even owned Wiefelsburg Castle, a location where he and his soldiers were believed to have performed occult rituals. In order to psych out the German populace, the U.S. Army weaponized astrology, distributing horoscopes with grim futures for Germany in order to hurt morale. It's also believed that the British military made fake monsters during World War II to strike fear into the hearts of superstitious villagers in fascist Italy. And a few decades later, the U.S. Army deployed the spookily named Operation Wandering Soul to freak out the Viet Cong. Ooh, hold on to that wandering soul. <laughs> Man, I wonder if that's in like the Man, Myth, and Magic book. I could probably find Wandering Soul right now. Uh, you should check. And uh, if anybody would like to check this out, I actually found a PDF of a book called Col- uh, Killing Hope by, oh, what was his name? Blum Williams. Uh, Blum that, Williams. That doesn't sound right. Let me, let me actually get this open. It's a silly name, but you know what? It, people have silly names sometimes. Uh, William Blum, sorry. William Blum. Will Blum? <laughs> Will Blum. I hate to say it, but that's still a pretty fucking silly name. But anyway. <laughs> uh, but yeah, this is a, it's a really cool book that starts off in... Uh, it's just different psychological warfare uh, events that happen throughout the world. That were mm-hmm. headed up by the CIA. I mean, part, part one is China, nineteen forty-five to nineteen sixties. Was Mao Zedong uh, just paranoid? Italy, forty-seven to forty-eight, free elections, Hollywood style, 
Greece, the mm-hmm. Philippines, Korea, Albania, Eastern Europe, Germany, Iran, Guatemala, Costa Rica, Syria, Middle East, Indonesia, Western Europe, British Guiana, Soviet Union, Italy again, Vietnam, Cambodia, Laos, Haiti, Guatemala. <laughs> Damn. I'm Damn. Even, I'm not even halfway par- uh, through part one, son. Dude, dozens upon dozens upon dozens, maybe hundreds of examples of that shit. I would love to read. I mean, the first one that you mentioned really stood, all of those are fucking great, but the the Mao Zedong story is is fascinating. I mean, what a interesting story on how this country got completely turned upside down by this one small political party, which happens from time to time. It happened in Germany. Um yeah, cuz they were losing the war before World War II. Mhm. Mao Zedong and the communists, they were losing against the uh the old uh, Chinese government. And then World War II happened. They set aside their differences. They fought Japan together. They got involved with the Americans. They got involved with the CIA. And then coming out of World War II, when CIA was at its prime, all of a sudden, the communists had an edge. Why is that? Well, it's complicated, but it's a very <laughs> interesting story. As it usually is. There's something spooky going around these here parts. Page, 30, Beauty, eh? page 38 in this book, uh, Killing Hope, that's, uh, that's the chapter that's on the Philippines, chapter 4, uh, and, and, and uh, Lansdale's actions uh, specifically. Very, very interesting stuff. Um, now, we should, uh, we should probably hear a little bit as to what Lansdale decided to roll with. Uh, do you know anything about Philippine... Uh, uh, Urban legends, ghost stories, anything of that nature? Oh, I wish I wish I could say yes. Uh, no, what I know about Philippines is, oh, I don't know, Lumpia, things like that. But I don't know about the the real mythology. Mm, it's, it's pretty spooky. Lansdale and his men studied the sociocultural beliefs of the Hooks extensively, finding information on a myriad Filipino curses and monsters. Lansdale practiced by convincing locals that they'd be cursed if they supported communism, to modest success. But he truly fell in love when he discovered the monstrous Aswang. For those of you not familiar with Filipino folklore, the Aswang is like a particularly horrifying variant of the vampire exclusive to the Philippines. It's said to take the form of a seemingly normal woman during the day, but at night, it's a whole different story. They're shapeshifters that can take the form of various people or animals to get close to their intended victims. But what really separates the Aswang from your garden variety vampire is the way they feed on their victims. Unlike Western vampires, with their two very sharp canines, the Aswang is believed to have fed with its long, blade-like tongue. That's right, almost like a giant, horrifying mosquito, the Aswang would extend its long, hungry tongue toward the neck of its victims, pierce and suck. What's more, for an Aswang, there's more than just blood on the menu. It's also believed in most variations of the legend that Aswang also used their bladed tongues to pierce the navels of pregnant women to feed on the fetus within. In particularly superstitious communities, Aswang attacks are often the assumed reason for tragic miscarriages during pregnancy. Most people would read the accounts of the Aswang and feel a shiver crawl down their spine. This thing makes Dracula look like a teddy bear but not Lieutenant Colonel Edward G. Lansdale. Being an experienced military strategist and also ever so slightly insane, Edward G. Lansdale looked at the Aswang and saw a great opportunity for waging psychological warfare against the Hooks. And that's exactly what he did, in perhaps the most violent and terrifying way you possibly could imagine. 
Oh, boy. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> I was reading some shit where they, this uh, this S-Wong could uh, detach its upper body from its lower body and fucking move around crazy shit. Oh, oh that's that's gravy right there. Yeah, man. There's a there was a TV show called Shake Rattle and Roll. I got linked in the show notes. I don't I don't have any clips because it's all in Filipino, but uh, uh, it's it's cool, man. It's a uh, horror from across the world. Uh, I got it here. I see it in the show notes. I'm I'm saving that tab for later. Yeah, I actually have a whole documentary on the Aswang. I I didn't get to pull as many clips from that, uh, just based off of the other resources I was finding. Um, but there is one that we'll get to from said documentary here in a couple of clips. Um, but before we can even do that, we have to know what Lansdale decided to, uh, or how Lansdale decided to handle this delicate matter. Does he, plan- does he utilize the Oswang? Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. He most definitely utilizes it. The plan was to fake a series of Aswang attacks on Hukbalahap soldiers in order to sow fear and discord. They had already spent weeks spreading rumors of a vicious local Aswang in the hills, but to really seal the deal, they needed to do something a little more practical. There was no polite way to do this, so Lansdale jumped straight to brutal murder and proceeded from there. His first opportunity to test out his new psychological warfare attack was on a seemingly impenetrable hilltop fortress in Luzon held by the Hooks. Any attack staged against the settlement seemed bound to fail, and Filipino government forces were almost ready to give up on reclaiming it. Hook soldiers would patrol nightly in shifts to secure the area, and after meticulously planning his attack, Lansdale and his men were ready to strike. After weeks of observation, he noticed that the last patrol of the night was performed by a lone soldier. Under Lansdale's orders, his men swooped in and kidnapped this lone patrolman. This terrified Hook soldier was dragged into the woods to become the first guinea pig in Edward G. Lansdale's Aswang experiment. The unfortunate soldier was hung upside down by his ankles and then stabbed in the throat with a combat knife and quite literally bled out like a stuck pig. The average adult body weighing from 150 to 180 pounds has around five and a half liters or one and a half gallons of blood, and Lansdale spilled all of this unfortunate patrolman's blood on the ground of the Luzon jungle. Then they took his exsanguinated corpse and dumped it on the roadside to anyone who wrongly assumed, like the Hooks, that the U.S. Army couldn't possibly be crazy enough to do this, it seemed like a pitch-perfect Aswang attack. When the patrolman's bloodless body, complete with a ragged puncture mark in his throat, was found by his fellow Hook soldiers the next morning, terror spread among the guerrilla forces. This hilltop settlement that seemed previously immovable suddenly relocated. The Hooks may not have feared the Japanese, Filipino, or American soldiers, but an Aswang? That was way out of their league. I know what you're thinking, and I have an answer for you. I know this, this is shocking. You're sitting there wondering, well, I wonder how long it would take to drain out a fully agro- a grown adult male's body of all of his blood, and it would take about 45 minutes. 45 minutes? Mm-hmm. Hanging upside down with mm-hmm. the artery nicked? Mm-hmm. Hmm. But it wouldn't take him that long to die. No, 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 no. He would die probably in a matter of minutes. Or at least lose consciousness. Wouldn't matter. Right. Yeah, especially being uh, suspended like that. Oh, especially like that. And if they got him just right in the neck, they got the punctures right. Yep. Yep, yep, yep. 
Now this, you know is- what I saw the other day, Blueberry. That's reminding me of this. I'm sorry, but I did you see that picture or not the picture, the video of of a, a knife fight in Australia? No. And it, where somebody sl- slashed someone else across the jugular, Jesus. and that guy fucking just like within five seconds was on the ground, unconscious. Guy went up and just took a fucking knife just right in the right spot in his neck. Under yeah. the jaw, yeah, that's shit's it, no joke, man. I mean, it's it's obviously it's that's awful, really dark uh, internet shit. But that uh, it was around and it was circulating for a bit. And this fucking twenty year old or this eighteen year old, I forget how young this guy was, but man, this guy's going to be in prison for the rest of his life. And in Australia, they have major gun laws and they only have knives. And so a lot of these kids, these gangster types, they carry around knives. And uh, this is a uh, Something that I don't think people realize, just, it happens so fast. So fast. If you get it right. And, if, and with this particular situation, the guy's hanging upside down. Oh, man. Yep. Mm-hmm. He, uh, yeah, and it, and it worked. It uh, it definitely spooked him. Or at least, like, maybe if they they weren't necessarily taking it in the superstitious route. And they were like, well, still, someone kidnapped one of our guys cut his throat and hung him upside down to drain him all uh, uh, dra- drain him of all of his blood and then <clears throat> stashed him somewhere for us to find maybe we should gtfo out of here <laughs> <laughs> i like the way that he frames it he's like no military could ever do something so wretched and awful yeah. so half of these guys are thinking it really is the oswang and then the other half are thinking no it's the fucking Americans and they're psychos and this sucks and we gotta get the fuck out of here. Yeah, basically. <laughs> <laughs> um, this is uh, this is the last clip from the infographics channel that I pulled these from. Um, but uh, inevitably, the Hux ended up deserting the hilltop fortress. Uh, the the battle is won against them. The CIA backed Filipino government succeeded. And uh, all the hearts and minds of all of the people are united. What's not to love? Inspired by his success with the Aswang mission, he employed other strange supernatural cyborg tactics to freak the hooks into submission. Another one of his trademark techniques, most of which played out almost like sadistic practical jokes, was what he dubbed the Eye of God. For this tactic, he and his men would sneak into villages at night and paint sinister eyes on the buildings in the area, normally facing the homes of suspected hook sympathizers, as though they were being watched by some mysterious supernatural force. This was another success for Lansdale. He later wrote in his memoir, the mysterious presence of these malevolent eyes the next morning had a sharply sobering effect. That memoir, by the way, was titled In the Midst of Wars, an American's Mission to Southeast Asia. Personally, we would have gone with How to Win Wars by Being an Absolute Maniac by Edward the Aswang Lansdale. And they did indeed win the war. By 1954, the Hukbalahap Rebellion was brought to its knees. The combination of unconventional war tactics like the ones incorporated by Lansdale and his men, and the huge shipment of weapons given to Filipino government forces by the U.S., and the election of popular president Ramon Magsese, which brought the hearts and minds of the Philippine public back to Manila, all served to bring success. When the Huk leader, Luis Taruk, surrendered on May 17th of that year, things were pretty much over for the Huk forces. Another war successfully interfered with by the CIA. How can we keep winning like this? <laughs> Just keep winning and winning more. In the midst of winning, 
know if I can keep going on winning like this, man. <laughs> man, my shoulders and my back are getting real, real sore mm. from carrying all of this victory. I uh, know there was at one point um, uh, allegedly an author that wrote a book, a, a fictionalized book about the Vietnam War, and one of the qu- uh, characters was uh, loosely based off of Lansdale. And this book oh. is called The Quiet American. If you're, from, I'm not, I've not read it, so I'm not sure. I'm trying to see if it's the same one because there's been a lot of sort of fictional stuff. Uh, Fowler, Thomas Fowler. I oh d- no. Graham Greene, sorry, my bad. I do have a quote from Lansdale's autobiography that I thought would be fun to share. To the superstitious, the Huck battleground was a haunted place filled with ghosts and eerie creatures. When a Huck patrol came along the trail, the ambushers silently snatched the last man of the patrol, their move unseen in the dark night. They punctured his neck with two holes, vampire fashion, held the body by the hills. Uh, held the body up by the heels, drained it of blood, and put the corpse back on the trail. When the Hucks returned to look for the missing man and found their bloodless comrade, every member of the patrol believed that the Swang had got him, and that one of them would be next if they remained on that hill. Mm. <laughs> He's into it, man. <laughs> He's like, well, if it works, it works. If it ain't broke. Uh, maybe this is so American. It's just the most American thing of all time. And and as uh, Blue Douche thirty three says in the chat, th- this is basically the history of Latin America as well. Mm. Indeed, to, to a certain degree, especially after World War Two. Unreal. Oh yeah. Well, Shout this- out to Argentina harboring uh, Nazis, including the head honcho himself. Yeah, there's a there's a gentleman that uh, makes claims that uh, Lansdale was involved with the uh, with the Bay of Pigs. He was oh, short, bet. shortly let go, or he retired after that. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Oh, yeah. But we can't get too far. We, we got to keep it reeled in, because we're going to go real we're methodical. It tight. We're keeping it right. Real methodical through all of this. Um, this is Booberry's methodology. We come to an optional clip. Uh, it's kind of a retelling of what we just covered, but it's from that S. Wong's of the CIA documentary. Uh, that, mm. That's feet that features locals from the area uh if you would like to hear it it's two minutes we've kind of already covered it so um if you think it's interesting it's uh all they 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 do there is one gentleman that makes one uh statement that he doesn't even think it was necessarily a patrol person that they grabbed uh that it was just some poor local that they snatched up instead <laughs> they couldn't even Get an actual soldier. They're just like we're just going to kidnap some dude. Yeah, uh, I I have no way to verify you know either way. Uh, but there is another gentleman that talks about uh, reutilizing the fear of the Aswang and directing it towards the government that had been installed by the CIA uh, because they they had this uh, vampire attack fresh in their memory, right? And they started, mm-hmm. and it was it was an it was a known it was an open secret that. Uh, Magusway is that, I forget the guy's name. Um, do I have it here? Da, 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 da. In the no shows, Magusay, uh, Magsay, 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 um, yeah. Well, we'll get into the, this one. This one's interesting. Um, I, I should say from the clip that we're skipping, 
one of the interesting things that they talk about is uh, they were making images of the local politicians, uh, Lansdale's guys. They were they were drawing him with Aswang tongue, wings, <laughs> horns. <laughs> what he fucking deserved. Yeah, that's what the image at the top of the uh, this section is. Is uh, I pulled that from the documentary. So it's Max say with the wings and the horns and whatnot. Nice. Uh, but uh, this is uh, this is a local discussing uh, everybody being in on it. Uh, my experience with the CIA here was uh, during the Magsaysay period, and uh, it was well known uh, by the people of the Philippines that uh, he was backed by the United States uh, without necessarily uh, saying CIA, and and the people accepted that, and uh, so did I. Because at that time, uh, we were in the early stages of our independence. That was, uh, we got independent in 1946. And at that time, nobody had uh, presented a program of social reform as vigorously as President Magsaysay. And uh, the American policymakers here said that they favored the uh, grassroots approach. And... Uh, those of us who had been thinking of the social inequity of the distribution of wealth here, like the land holdings, for instance, which uh, were in the hands of a few, we favored land reform and, uh, and uh, a community type of development in the villages. These were the uh, main planks of uh, Magsaysay's uh, platform. He, he put it uh, in, in a very apt phrase. He said, to those who have uh, less in life, they should have more in law. Those who have less in life should have more in law. And, and this, this caught on. And uh, the people acclaimed this because they knew that 80, 90% of our people are poor. And uh, American policy was very much behind this. Because one of the uh, uh, defects of American colonial policy is that uh, they allowed the economy to be held by a few while uh, the rest of the masses were still mired in poverty. And uh, so at that particular time, uh, the CIA openly held Magsaysay and the people voted for Magsaysay overwhelmingly knowing that they, they ha he had the open support of the American government. You know, if he consent to it, well, what is there to complain about? <laughs> you said it was okay. Yeah. Uh, I, I, have a, I do have a treat for you here. This is actually a, 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 like a, a victory, uh, election victory clip from 1961 uh, mm. after, uh, after the say. uh, uh, oh my God! Term. Thank you. Uh, this is the um, uh, these word pronunciations are killing me. Maka 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 Pagal. Uh, Maka Pagal. That Maka sounds Pagal. right. Maka Pagal, nineteen sixty one. Oh, the, the people of the Philippines make their decision whether to elect Liberal Party candidate Diosdado Maka Pagal as president or retain incumbent Carlos Garcia. Garcia is the standard bearer for the Nationalist Party. 
Close to 7 million Filipinos vote in more than 4,000 districts. For those who cannot write, fingerprints are their identification. Macapagal has been waging a four-year campaign while serving in the Garcia administration as vice president. The hard election drive pays off and Macapagal wins. In his first presidential statement, he reaffirms his country's ties with the U.S. There you go. <laughs> it just keeps going. It's, this is going to keep going. This is going to keep going. Uh, we do have to, unfortunately, bid uh, 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 oh, adieu. <laughs> Au revoir. Au revoir. Au revoir. Uh, sayonara. There we go. Much easier. Um, sayonara. Yes. Hasta la vista, baby. Uh, we're going to leave the Philippines, and we're going to head on over to Vietnam. Uh, yeah, because no. uh, the the spirit of Lansdale continues on, and um, while he was not directly related in this uh, particular <laughs> scheme, they did well. I mean, he wrote the book on psycho psychological operations. Yes. Even though he's gone, his evil lives on. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, this is uh, Operation Wandering Souls. The Vietnam War was a cradle for many new tactics and strategies to defeat the army as morality and code of honor were abandoned by both sides. While the Viet Cong resorted to guerrilla warfare and hiding in plain sight among innocent civilians, U.S. troops employed psychological punishment during their invasion. For Vietnamese people, proper burial for the deceased in their birthplace by their loved ones is considered important and necessary. If for some reason, such last rites are not possible, they believe that will cause the deceased soul to wander, frantically searching its way to their home. U.S. forces in the Vietnam War were aware of this belief and took advantage of it to spread fear and supernatural paranoia in the enemy's army. U.S. forces employed a freaky psychological scare tactic known as Operation Wandering Soul. Knowing that the Vietnamese people were worried about many of their soldiers dying far from home and not being able to be properly buried. The 6th Psychological Operations Battalion of the U.S. Army broadcasted disturbing moans of disembodied voices throughout the Vietnam jungle where the battles took place. These oh, fake creepy. tapes were played on a series of loudspeakers or dispatched from overhead planes. Mm -hmm. oh, That's yeah. spooky as fuck, dude. Yeah, I told you, man. I warned you. There's something <sighs> spooky going around these here parts. <laughs> And uh, with, with the right kind of talent, you can really sell a performance. I mean, that's that's acting 101. Totally. You, oh, yeah, you can get these people involved. Trust me. If they could sell... I'm not even going to say it. They could sell certain things that have happened in the last 20 years. They could sell this. This is great. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, I, I suppose we'll have to hear where they pulled from some of the talent from. For many Vietnamese soldiers, hearing these fabricated cries of supposedly lost souls piercing through the dark was nothing short of terrifying. These hair-raising messages that played on the Vietnam battlefield successfully convinced many nervous Vietnamese soldiers that their fallen comrades were skulking invisibly among them. Many of the fake ghost messages recorded were created with the help of South Vietnamese allies and voiced pleas to the soldiers to give up the fight. With a bit of theatrics and flair, the recordings will sound like to see soldiers warning them of horrible things waiting for them on the battlefield. These recordings mm. will play the voices of dead soldiers announcing their return from the battlefield 
and account for their gruesome death and advise them to turn around and run away to save their lives. <laughs> the tapes, they did work to an extent and were responsible for making hundreds of Viet Cong soldiers turn back and return to their domestic lives. Now, one thing that they admit out of, I should stop saying now, one thing that they admit out of this video is in a lot of circumstances, uh, soldiers playing these tapes would find that it would increase fire on their location. So there was uh, uh, some danger trying to utilize these loudspeakers. Oh, no shit. And the same with oh, the planes. Oh, what the fuck? You just start yeah. blasting into wherever that sounds coming from. <laughs> I just start blasting. So uh, anyways. Uh, but uh, a little bit of a fun fact. Uh, so Moy, or number 10, was common slang uh, was was a common slang term used by both the Vietnamese and Americans, meaning it was quote really bad. <laughs> oh, it was in bad. Oh wow! So they were like, "That's not real. That's just a that's a trick." You need to work on your dialect, there, kid. Uh, let's see here. Um, I want to actually read out some of the translations, but before we do that, I get another old school clip here, uh, talking about Operation Wandering Soul. And on this one, we'll actually get to hear a little snippet of it. The grunts of the oh, wheels yeah. of the green machine. The also, <laughs> this quote, uh, this clip may be considered mm, problematic. <laughs> so... Uh, you know. <laughs> oh, you dis- never give disclaimers like this. Viewer discretion advised. Oh the grunts are the wheels of the green machine, the name they give the military. The green machine is comic book America with flesh on it. Today is the day for you to let people... A wonderland of heroes and slogans. In the green machine, a grunt doesn't seek out the enemy. He goes hunting for gooks. The green machine plays games like Wandering Soul. Wandering Soul is a tape that has been put out by the Psychological Operations Battalion and Benoit is used by the operating divisions and separate brigades to broadcast a rally appeal to the Viet Cong. The tape itself is a rather weird one with the, the funeral dirge music in the background and a father talking to his children saying he's died on the battlefield and he's trying to encourage his comrades to rally and join the just cause. The Vietnamese people worship the souls of their ancestors, but this wandering soul is very different. It was conceived in an echo chamber by the US Army and is broadcast from a helicopter over jungle where the gooks are supposed to be hiding. Now, I do have another clip that's uh, three minutes and 14 seconds of that. Maybe we'll skip that, but uh, <laughs> if you want to check the whole thing out, I just link that in the show notes for you. Nice. <clears throat> um, Creepy, but also corny to a certain degree. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I think 
I'm not sure what I would think if I heard this in the middle of the jungle. Oh, I'd be freaked the fuck out right away. That's for sure. But over the course of a couple of weeks, I figured people people would figure it out. Uh, now we do have. Uh, I'll read some of the translations. Um, there is a funeral music and the wailing sounds of a moaning ghost. The daughter uh, named Hi cries out for her father. Daddy, daddy, come home with me. Come home. Daddy, daddy. Oh, that's so creepy. That's so fucked up. The ghost father responds, Hi, who is that? Who is calling me? My daughter. My wife. Your father is back home with you, my daughter. Your husband is back home with you, my wife. But my body is gone. I am dead. My family. Tragic. How tragic. My friends. I come back to let you know that I am dead. I am dead. I am in hell. Just hell. It was a senseless death. How senseless. How senseless. But when I realized the truth, it was too late. Too late. Friends, while you are still alive, there is still a chance that you can be reunited with your loved ones. Do you hear what I say? Go home. Go home, friends. If hur- uh, Hurry. If not, you will end up like me. Go home, my friends, before it is too late. Mmm. Freaky deaky. That's some psychological warfare, motherfucker. Yeah. <laughs> you just got mind-fucked by psyops. Dude. <laughs> that is a psyop. And people sit here and they go, Oh, uh, th- they could never do that. They would never do that to us. Never. You read about this shit. You fucking hear about this shit. Actually, now that I think about it, I might have pulled an ISO... Uh, for that specifically, um, ah. And remember, kids, the next time that somebody tells you the government wouldn't do that, oh, yes, they would. Oh, yes, they oh, would. Yes, they would. These people are creeps. That right you are, John. Oh, goodness. Let me uh, get back to my flow here. Uh, what is next? Um, oh, this is... Uh, this is a little bit of a bonus clip. It actually comes from the, the previous video, uh, not the one that we just listened to. Um, but it was just too fun to pass up. Uh, it turns out that uh, <laughs> I wasn't aware of this one, but the Art of Deception played a, a crucial um, part in the invasion of Normandy, D-Day. Uh, mm. We're going all the way back to World War II very briefly. Interestingly, this was not the first time such a tactic was used in warfare. The Allied army had used a similar tactic, a ghost army, in World War II to fool German recon missions. Thanks to this little facade, the Allies managed to convince the German army that the invasion would happen at Calais instead of 200 miles south at Normandy. Shortly before D-Day, the Germans began to receive intelligence about a massive force being deployed in southeast England just across the channel from Calais. Observers began to pick up military transmissions. Meanwhile, reconnaissance planes began to return with pictures of tank battalions and military supply trucks gathering in the fields. And German spies soon identified this force as the 1st United States Army Group, led by the legendary General George Patton, who was credited for saying, Lead me, follow me, or get out of the way. This was, in (laughs) fact, the largest deception operation in military history. The transmissions they were picking up were carefully orchestrated displays of Allied operatives, the tanks they were noticing in reconnaissance photos were inflatable, and their spies were double agents. 
Without this stroke of theatrical genius, allies would not have had an element of surprise at D-Day landings, and a lot more lives would have been sacrificed in the most crucial battle of the Second World War. Yeah, the videos in the uh, <laughs> or the footage of this is it's quite phenomenal. These giant blow-up tanks that they're just shoving around. I love these. I'm gonna. I I know what you're talking about, and I'm posting a few of them in the chat right now. Hell yeah! The, the pictures of these because they're really highly detailed. You look at them. From a distance and they look like tanks and then these guys it takes two guys it takes one guy just pushes it right over flips it on its on its head it's all bullshit that's awesome <laughs> fucking awesome calais yeah yeah the, the history of them that particular chapter of the war of them deciding where they were going to make their land invasion is easily one of the most interesting strategic things to read about as far as world war ii is concerned also the defense of uh leningrad under uh zukov and the russian military there's so many great moments you know mm. to to observe and this is definitely it's fascinating it's lovely trying to outbox so, but, each other so, man i know it's all dude that's sun Tzu as well it's not always about brute force it's about it's about perception perception is such a massive aspect of war the perception that you're going to win, the perception that your public has what it takes to win this war, the perception that you are you're you're fortified and that you shouldn't be attacked. All these different things play into it. Uh, I'm so glad you brought this up. It's really really good stuff. There was one quote featured in that last video that I just want to take a second to acknowledge. That was the General Patton quote. I'm not. I was not familiar with this one. Uh, previously. You're either with me or against me. Get the fuck out of my way, or whatever he said. Well, no, it's it's uh, lead me, follow me, or get the hell out of my way. Yeah, and that pretty much just struck every chord inside of my body because I cannot think of a more apt mentality for being a stagehand. Oh yeah, it, I mean that's just like that's fucking nails it one hundred and one right there. Yep. And with a lot of things, I think, especially trade stuff, but it's like, look, you're either better than me or you're worse than me. So figure it out. <laughs> we, we have shit to do. You better fucking figure it out real fucking fast. <laughs> I had somebody say that to me one time. Also, great words of wisdom. <laughs> oh, you better figure it out real fast? Yeah. yeah. You hear that in the construction world, too. Um. Now, oh, I did it again. We've talked a lot about the operation, or at least one of the operations that uh, Lansdale was heading up, and we talked about some of the stuff that he went on to inspire. We've briefly touched on some of his other accolades, and this next clip is, uh, er everybody loves the missing gold of World War II, surely. The Nazi gold? Oh, yeah, baby. Oh, yes. Did the U.S. government steal the lost gold of World War II and use it to fund the Cold War? During World War II, Japan plundered Asia for a fortune worth billions. Some claim it remains buried throughout the Filipino countryside, where treasure hunters continue to search for the bounty. It is said that Japanese General Tomoyuki Yamashita was in charge of hiding the stolen gold. 
After Japan's surrender, the Allies took him into custody for war crimes. The commission finds you guilty as charged and sentences you to death by hanging. Yamashita was executed without revealing the location of the treasure. But one theory contends that the American government found it anyway. Some say that U.S. intelligence tortured Yamashita's driver, who revealed information that led military intelligence officer Edward Lansdale to a dozen of Yamashita's vaults. Lansdale is said to have then traveled to Tokyo to brief General Douglas MacArthur about the massive fortune they had found. President Truman was allegedly informed and decided to keep the operation going. Even before they knew of Yamashita's gold, the American government had allegedly come up with a plan to handle the plunder of a different enemy, the Nazis. According to one theory, Secretary of War Henry Stimson and his associates supposedly set up the Black Eagle Trust, a covert system of funds that would be used to capture the wealth the Nazis had acquired throughout the war. If it was ever revealed how much gold was supposedly recovered from the Axis enemies, some say it would throw the U.S. and global economies into chaos, so it remained a secret. The Americans supposedly transferred the Japanese gold to 176 bank accounts in 42 different countries, with some of it sent to Great Britain and other allied nations recovering from the war. And some believe the Black Eagle Trust was used during the Cold War to secretly fund military action against Soviet allied nations and movements throughout the world. This is going to keep going. <laughs> yeah, this is going to keep funding. <laughs> yes, uh, that's uh, more appropriate <laughs> by far. <laughs> <laughs> oh, goodness. Don't we uh, have a big old fat money? Ah, we do. Here comes the money. Here we go. Gold. Gold. Yes, gold. Gold, uh, Jerry. <laughs> gold. Uh so uh, that that's one of uh that's one thing that uh Lansdell's was associated with. Of course, we already brought up the failed Bay of Pigs of invasion, uh Operation Mongoose. Uh, uh, he, Mongoose. He played a part in that. and uh, the plot underrated. To, uh, assassinate uh Fidel Castro, exploding cigars and all sorts of crazy shit. <laughs> there was actually uh, um we're not gonna play it right now because i've actually uh i'm gonna have it queued up for the end of the show but i've got a a piece of american propaganda that was uh uh pro-war folk music that ooh. um yeah that uh lansdale kind of was like hey i'm looking for some music i want to release an album or two and uh he, he got some uh servicemen to record some tracks and uh this, one, this guy thought of everything, didn't he? Yeah, man. He was a busy guy. Who, who was his name? Uh, the artist's name is Herschel Gober. Uh, so we'll be listening. Herschel Gober. Yeah, we'll be listening to that one at the end of the show, so stick around. Um, Another Herschel classic. There is one thing for sure that is definitely, verifiably, most spooky about Lansdale. Oh, I mean, as if there wasn't enough already. It gets even spookier, you say. Oh, yeah. Baby, we're going to Dealey Plaza. Colonel Fletcher Prouty discusses Dealey Plaza, November 22nd, 1963. 
Colonel Prouty worked in the U.S. military for 23 years, nine years in the Pentagon from 1955 to 1963. He worked closely with many influential people, including Director of Central Intelligence Alan Dulles, General Victor Krulak, Ugh. and General Edward Lansdale. Ugh. Colonel Prouty's work centered on special operations, the support of clandestine activities. While in the Office of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, he worked with the Office of Cover and Deception. He established and was the first head of the focal point office between the Air Force and the CIA, the chief mm. of Team B. Interesting. Here are observations he made in 1989 regarding photographs taken in Dealey Plaza. The photographic evidence as a total at that time is absolutely amazing. What various researchers have done is take all these photographs and place them in a time frame so that you can see where people standing in one place and there's the same person over here and other ones and begin to identify some of these people. So we've worked very hard on looking carefully at who is in these pictures. There are several of them that are really outstanding and one of the most amazing is this group of these three men who the news story said had been removed from a boxcar in a rail yard right in back of Dilly Plaza and were being led from that boxcar by police to the sheriff's office and that's the end of it. The trail ends. They weren't booked. There's no record of them at all. I was actually unfamiliar with the boxcar tramps. I had not seen this photo that uh, Colonel, uh, oh shit, what was his name? Uh, Prouty is discussing. Mm. Uh, but there are three tramps being escorted uh, pretty much right across the road where Kennedy had just gotten shot. They're just being escorted to the sheriff's plaza or the sheriff's office. And they got two armed police officers with like, and the the officer in front's maybe leading by like fifteen feet. The officer in the back is I don't know like twenty twenty five. Um, both are both are holding their rifles very nonchalantly, uh, pretty much with one hand for each. Um, and it's right, the most casually you can hold a twelve gauge. And, you know, they, they're escorting these three dudes, and here comes this guy walking right beside them. I mean, there's, what, four feet between the three tramps and this fence that they're walking alongside, and there's just... The fence this, is cracked open. Yeah, there's just this dude just, like, strolling nonchalantly. President just got fucking beamed, like, <laughs> you know, whatever. That's cool, man. Yeah. How casual is everybody, you know? Yeah. Um, so what uh, what Prouty gets into in this next clip is these guys shouldn't even be here, these boxcar tramps. Well, let's look at the pictures. The pictures do show three men that somebody have called tramps. Well, they got new shoes on. They are not tramps. The police that are leading them, one in front and one in back, one of them has very clearly a hearing device in his ear. And furthermore, the Dallas police don't lead prisoners into the sheriff's office. The police and the sheriff's office work together, but their jobs are entirely different. And in a sense, taking prisoners to the sheriff's office is the last place the police would take any prisoners. So all that part of it is very questionable. So when researchers had arrived at that point, one of them came to me one day and said, look, of all the pictures we've studied, 
this little episode of these men being marched right across the in front of the school book depository building where Oswald was supposed to have been and across the street by Dilly Plaza where the president's car had just gone into the sheriff's office. There's something wrong about these pictures. So we looked at them very carefully. Yeah, look at them carefully. They did. And uh, they have some conclu or Proudy has some conclusions. <laughs> Want to take a guess of who he theorizes is walking by them in this photo? Mm, no, oh, I don't know. I want to hear. I just want to know. And in the very first picture, in addition to the two policemen and the three tramps, as they're called, is another man. And he's walking in the other direction. But the thing about it is, so that his back is more or less to, or his side and his back is more or less to the photographer rather than face forward, there's something about it is, how is it possible that anyone at Dealey Plaza that day, and here these men are probably being marched across there five minutes after the president was killed. Everybody was running around, people were excited, sirens were blowing, and here's this man in a business suit, just as casually walking along. He doesn't even turn, he's not looking at anybody, just walking past, and he happens to be standing by these men as they're being marched. The least he would be doing is looking at these prisoners or looking at the policemen. You know, oh anybody God. would, especially at that time. This man's looking at nobody. And I recognize immediately that that man is General Lansdale. Oh. Uh, mm. I was going through my mind, I thought it might have been George H.W., but... Uh, also... Uh, I mean, quote-unquote, not present for the day. <laughs> no, he was present, all right. They got pictures. Uh, so, yeah, and, and uh, Proudy gets into more on the facial expressions. Like, uh, the one of the cops has kind of got a, uh, like, a, do we do good, Bob? Do, do we do it, boss? Oh, God. Uh, one of them's got a smirk. Uh, the other guy, the other tramp that's featured, you can't see the third guy. His face is blocked, but the second one's got kind of like a, Am I am I fighting with the good guys? <laughs> <laughs> as a as a concerned look. Yeah, and uh Prouty is mailing this photo to people without context, other uh figures in the army and whatnot. Um and he's asking for their impressions, like is there anything that stands out to you in this photo? Uh if you had to take a guess on who this individual might be. Um one of the they show images of the correspondence in this video that I pulled the clips from, and uh, they're like, "Yeah, that that the gate, the haircut, the ring, uh, this the sort of haphazard way he's shifted all of his weight to the left side of his body, uh, that's Lansdale, mm. or what I would surmise to be Lansdale." Um, so it's uh, and and this is after he had uh, quote unquote retired from the Air Force too. Oh, sure. But you know what they say about people in the CIA. <laughs> you never retire. <laughs> never retire from the CIA. Never. Um, so with a man that has a... How should we describe it? An expansive resume. Uh, <laughs> yes, what a reputation that precedes him. Yeah, it's... Uh, I, he's writing books left and right. And um, Proudy, I guess is um he's going on the record and he's he, he doesn't know he doesn't know why lansdale would be there he knows lansdale's uh uh particular set of skills 
But as to the motive, he's not really sure. And we'll, we'll hear a little more from Prouty in this last clip. I don't know why he was in Dallas. I can't go into that. But it's astounding that this man, who was Assistant Secretary of Defense for Special Operations after General Graves Erskine retired, who uh, was the man who had more or less almost single-handedly set up Diem as president of South Vietnam, who again almost single-handedly has set up President McSaisai as president of the Philippines, who was considered probably the most significant person in the U.S. military, U.S. government on the subject of counterinsurgency, civic action, special forces, Green Beret troops. He had written the, he had written the, the, the books uh, that the Green Berets used in their courses down at Fort Bragg. What could have been his role at that time? I had a very <laughs> personal interest in that because only uh, a month or two before that, Lansdale had met me in the halls of the Pentagon and said that he had arranged for me to go as a escort, military escort officer with a VIP party to the South Pole. Yeah. And it happened that I left for the South Pole on about November 10th or something like that, and that I was in New Zealand on the way back from the South Pole when I heard about President Kennedy being killed. Why Lansdale asked me to go to the South Pole, I have no idea. Or was there some connection between this role that he may have been playing in Dallas and the fact that he would just as soon I be out of town? And I reflected on that, especially when I began to realize that almost all of Kennedy's cabinet was out of town, that some 45 officials with the cabinet were also out of town in Honolulu and on their way to Tokyo. They were actually on their way to Tokyo when the president was killed. And over the years, I have made a study of how many people central to the inner workings of the secret government of this country had been moved out of Washington at that time. It's a very, very interesting subject. I wish I could answer it. I don't know how to answer it. I'm sure the picture is Lansdale. Others are sure it's Lansdale. And I have to leave it there. And I should well. say that uh, Lansdale and Prouty worked together for about 12 years, I believe. Okay. And that what, was the. So, sorry, what you got? I was just saying that the it's such a massive picture. I think I think that's really the the thing that makes it so incredulous to most people when they don't believe that the Kennedy assassination was an organized thing, because it would take such a massive coordination from the highest possible level. And to listen to this guy talk about that and to say basically that all of Kennedy's most trusted people and all of the the most competent members of, uh, you know, Secret Service or National Security were all sent away in one big, massive, you know, choreography in order for this sort of thing to happen. Just when you look at it, you know, it's, it's, it's crazy how big it, it really is. It's so big, it's, it's unbelievable. And uh, that's why people don't believe it. I if don't, they don't. I don't know if you know this or not, but people are literally too stupid to come together in any sort of terms in order to pull something off this big, okay? Yeah, no one would ever know. People aren't smart enough. Yeah. Uh, you're just... I'm not smart enough <laughs> to do that, so <laughs> it can't happen. <laughs> it's literally just not possible, okay? Yeah. Yeah. These people don't play enough online games. 
and see what the fuck people are capable of. What kind of psychotic, obsessive, crazy shit people are capable of doing. You think somebody would spend a, a thousand, two thousand hours building a fucking replica of Cleveland and Minecraft for nothing? You think that people will do that, but they won't for billions of dollars do this crazy bullshit? This crazy bullshit? Stage the human imagination it. cannot yeah. conceive. Do you understand? <laughs> your mind is shallow as your soul. Ah. <sighs> It's rough. Let me tell you, people, it's rough. Mm, and possibly the roughest. <laughs> Maybe the roughest ever. Uh, anyway. I love that. <laughs> <laughs> Smack my bread, bitch. Oh, goodness. Oh, shit. Cotton Gin just gave me the one, two, three, four karma. Oh, Ayo. what? Nice. One, two, three, four. Easy as A B C whore. Um, that's uh, uh that, that was everything that I had about Lansdale, and uh, I, I thought it was an interesting um little uh like post cherry that uh we end up close to Antarctica. That's pretty fun, right? Dude, yeah, I'm I'm glad that you took us all the way to the South Pole. Oh my goodness, this was a really good topic. I enjoyed it very much. Well, thank you. I, I was, uh, it was one of those I was definitely pumped as soon as I saw it. I was like, oh, no fucking way. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Oh, it's great. It has, it has so many great uh, ingredients to the dish. And the images, by the way, you've got to see these old photos that we've been talking about. You've got to go to zososcorner.substack.com, episode 120. You've got to see these old great pictures. Oh, this uh, this Smokey the Bear one, it says, please, only you can prevent a forest. That was actually uh, <laughs> the work of servicemen that were deploying Agent Orange. <laughs> <laughs> please. <laughs> only you can prevent a forest. <laughs> He's got those big bear eyes. Yeah, that's great. Um, Oswang. But yeah, that's... The Oswang made, a, made an appearance tonight. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, it was uh, a lot of ground covered. Indeed. Know. Like napalm. <laughs> yes, carpet. <laughs> <laughs> we carpeted it. We carpeted it. Um, yeah, that's... Uh, I suppose we should get these... Uh, make sure we get these booster grams read. We have... Indeed. 42 sets from Rhizome Ryan through Fountain. In honor of the 42 users that we had in the green room. And then... Uh, Thank you very much. 42. 8585 from Bully Steed, the uh, favorite number for tonight. Moan days are now my fave days. Oh, thank you, Dan B. Hell yeah. Straight up, Dan B. Straight. 8585. Uh, and then we had a row of four, a house, a village of fours. A village of fours. I like that. A village of fours. 44, it 000, takes a village. <laughs> it takes a village of fours. Um, 44,444 sets from Fletcher through Fountain. Fletcher. I'm going to see if I can do this without fucking it up. Gorilla, Cuntilla, Sammy D, Sammy D in the Sam... 
Ugh, salmonella. Salmonella. Hold on, hold on. Let me start again. Gorilla. Right. Cuntilla. Sammy D and Salmonella. Come with me, cause I'm an ass killer. You're ill, but I'm a illa. May I? Yes. For forty-four four 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 says, Gorilla, Cuntilla, Sammy D in the Salmonella. Come with me, cause I'm an ass killer. You're ill, but I'm illa. Nice. Yeah. And then biggest <laughs> little blue more. douche thirty. What's that? I think I think that's um the. Rhythm boost from collar earlier uh, probably helped nail that a little better than I could. Oh yeah, I got my, I got my. Uh, was it in the zone? What, what did the we flow. say today? The, the flow. flow. Yeah, I've definitely got my flow going right now. Uh, <laughs> and blue douche thirty three says biggest clit ever. So thank you. Biggest. <laughs> it was the best clit. <laughs> you know there have been big clits before, but I'm telling you, people, we had the biggest. The biggest. <laughs> You've never seen a bigger clit. <laughs> <laughs> eat it eat it eat it oh, oh yeah mm, indeed uh do we have a voicemail let me let me check let well, me if we check. don't you can still give us a call there's still time people 612-263-7999 we're one of those late night shows give us a call 612-263-7999 Good evening, gentlemen. Good evening. It's been a minute Good evening. We've had the chance to play a game, Mr. Boo of the Berries. And it's the love off living lavishly. Let's see if you can name this movie that the scene is about to come from. Ring, ring. Hello? Hi, I'm calling about the Nana job I saw advertised. Um, okay, I have a few uh, quick questions for you. Sure, hold on one second. Get back in your fucking cage! Sorry about that. Uh, yeah, uh, positions are filled. <laughs> uh, caller to be completely completely honest i'm not sure what scene this movie is from but the position has been filled <laughs> caller oh man <sighs> yeah sorry you get that good blood in you and you get into a flow yeah yeah um i was pretty much just imagining myself in the cage. Sorry, I had to. I was somewhere else there for a second. I'm back. Yeah, Hello. I like it. I like it. Okay, I like it. <laughs> Hello there. You, you know, Fletcher uh, on the Hog Story today was talking about a Faraday cage. Mm, that's now fun. what? I mean, what could be more fun than that? If you know what I mean. Like, say <laughs> you and your friend are in the cage together, and there's like you know sparks and shit everywhere, and you're safe in your cage, and and you can use it as a cage. Or think about that. Just think about that for a second. Hmm. I don't know. I think mm, I'd have to think about it. You should. I think. Uh, I think the sparks could be interesting. It could be a. It might be a new way to spice up things. You know what I'm saying? You know what I'm saying? Interesting. It's on the. You know, the the human imagination, etc. 
It's it's in the it's in the papers. Hmm. Um. <laughs> you know what I would need though? A BDSM outfit. That's what I kind of envision it would be. Uh. Yes, that's what I envision it would be as well. <laughs> <laughs> oh, sorry. I'm getting a little choked up here. <laughs> yeah, you need to clear your sinuses out with a nice cigarette. Yeah, that's the one. Um, but before we do that, we're going to have to conclude tonight's production. Thank you for hanging out, everybody. If you want to come chill with us next week, we'll be back. That's not true. That is factually inaccurate now that I think about it. Uh, I am going to be flying home at the end of this week, so I will not be here for next Monday's episode. Uh, you'll be off hanging out with the family. Lamb. Yes, most indeed. Um, so I know mm-hmm. lavish and well, I had uh, in that case, I, I think I am, I'm going to do a solo show or I'm going to ask somebody and I'll, I'll talk to you about who I want to bring on or whatever. If, even if that happens, I might just do a solo show and we'll get uh, some art rolling, of course. And, uh, I'll, I'll, yeah. I'll still have my computer and I'm probably going to be bringing light gear, but that's to work on some other stuff. Um, I can get busted out. Yeah, yeah, don't don't worry about the uh the weight limit on the flight or whatever. You, know, you don't want to do. Oh, man, I can uh <laughs> I can really cram it in there. Like I said, <laughs> slam it in, slam it out, my guy. Well, my plan is is I'm going to try and get things charted out early so that we I can get the art to early this week and you can have time you know, to fucking do whatever. And we'll we'll figure it out. We'll make it happen. There, there will be a show. Next Monday, we are live every Monday night, every single fucking Monday night uh, at 7.30 Pacific, 8.30 Mountain Time, 9.30 Central, and 10.30 Eastern. And uh, it really doesn't matter. Our holidays, we do it. Booberry did one on 4th of July. We're going to be here on Halloween. You know, doesn't uh, it doesn't end. <laughs> It'll never end. And, the wild uh, ride never ends. The wild ride never ends. Hope you have a great time with your family, though. Thanks. Should be pretty good. I'm looking forward to it. Yes. Always nice to move around, see people. Yep. It's been a minute since I did some traveling, man. Gotta get gotta get those legs stretched out. You gotta get out of the miniocalypse for a little bit. Yeah, spread my terror elsewhere. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like a moth in the night. If you want to come hang out with us, spook.social, sign up. It's Mastodon. It's everything that uh, Twitter and Facebook wished it was. That's right. And thank you for setting that up and everybody who's helped out with that. Also, you can uh, find our website at behindtheschemes.com with threes for ease and schemes or badradio.live. Or loveislit.com, which works sometimes. Or live is lit, man. We got all of the lit here. Live is lit. Behind the schemes.net, we gotta figure out, we gotta get that one working too. Mm. Yeah, make sure you're make sure you uh, make sure you invest in a nude podcast app. It's time. Just let the past go. Yeah. Look forward. Don't don't, don't look back. Don't look back. These people don't deserve your your hard-earned time yeah and hey if you uh 
listen to Podverse, you can actually get notifications that we go live in app. <laughs> That's right. You can see chapters. You can see. Don't miss out everything. This isn't just a podcast. We have chapters. We have chapter art. We have the show notes. We have transcripts. Yeah. It goes on and on and on. <laughs> it's a big list. That's right. It's growing all the time, if you know what I mean. And uh, be sure to check out the t-shirts behind the schemes.shop. Mm-hmm. And especially join us in our chat room. That will cost you absolutely nothing at all. Go to irc.zeronode.net or don't go there, but find it with the IRC client or you can go to our website, get there through the Kiwi. That's very easy. But join the chat room. That's the most fun thing about it. You got to come. You got to be in the chat room. Yeah. Hashtag green room. And I'll be in the chats myself doing green room things until next time. This has been Booberry, Black Knight of the Mothman. Indeed. Until next time, I have also been lavish. Yes. Find torture skill. Behind the schemes. That show has been rocking lately. The innkeeper is as he treats his guests. Fuck the mainstream. The funny, the cute. Oh god, I did it for boobs. Delicious. Y'all believe what you want to believe? But in this house, we believe that if something comes on the TV, it can come on you. All I do is eat ass and 69 Nintendos, bro, every day. This is Behind the Schemes. The esoterica of your dreams. (laughs) You know, after being in Vietnam for about three or four months, It used to make me mad just how little some of the people back in America, people who should know but didn't know about what was really happening in Vietnam. I read the papers and read all the talk about the Civil War and about how we should get out and everything else, and I was standing side by side with these little Vietnamese soldiers fighting for their lives, fighting for their families and their homes. It made me kind of mad to think that America had come to that. But I went back to this mud hut where I lived and I sat down one evening and I just started thinking and started writing and here's what I came up with. Look over my shoulder, what do you see? You see a nation fighting to be free. Go where I go, stand by my side. The cause of freedom is too strong to hide Too strong to hide You know, some people say that this is an internal strife That the Vietnamese people don't really want a better way of life For those that feel this way Here's what I say If you could come and stand by my side just for one long, long day, then you'd know. You'd know the true story of this war, and there'd be no doubt in your mind as to right or wrong, commitment or non-commitment. Look over my shoulder, what do you see? You see a nation fighting to be free. 
Go where I go, stand by my side The cause of freedom is too strong to hide While I was in Vietnam, I formed friendship with many Vietnamese soldiers. Why, I've seen these little men jump and run, charge a Viet Cong position. I've seen them die. I've seen their wives crying. Some people say that this is a different kind of war. I say, tell me what's so different about it. Is a widow's crying in the night any different? Does the crying of an orphan child for a dying father sound different? Does a bullet sting less? Is death less final? What makes this a different kind of war? No, my friend, this is a war like all the rest. This is a war of oppression. This is a war fought by people trying to force their will upon another people and a valiant little people trying to resist them, trying to resist with all their might. This, my friend, is the story of Vietnam. Look over my shoulder, what do you see? You see a nation fighting to be free. Go where I go and stand by my side, the cause of freedom is too strong to hide. The cause of freedom is too strong to hide.